Everybody and welcome back to the B-side for the film stage. Here we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And today we are going to talk uh, about maybe one of the most prominent working figures in Hollywood royalty ever. I mean, it's I know, you know, there are many people that stem from Hollywood royalty, but but our current subject has to maybe be one of the most significant. Um, joining me, uh, filling in for Daniel Mecca on this episode is our wonderful friend, uh, past and future guest and currently our co-host. They are the senior editor at Letterboxd. It's Mitchell Beaupre. Hello, hello. Opti- optimistic with with the future guests. We'll see how this goes. See <laughs> yeah, if I get invited back again. But that's a I, bit. Yeah, there's a big asterisk <laughs> over what I just we're, said. We're uh, just we're just starting, Connor. We'll see. But <laughs> obviously, obviously. And uh, also joining us is uh, a dear uh, a dear internet friend of ours. I'll say she was a past guest on Cinephile Game Nights. If you caught those, and kind of those were the reason that that led to this episode sort of happening. We have Mariah Gates. Mariah, how are you? I'm great. It's it's really great to be here talking about one of my favorite actresses. I yeah, and just as a little backstory for people who don't know, Mariah, you've been on you were on Cinephile Game Night a few times, and I believe on our last Cinephile Game Night we did a filmography round uh, where we it was Drew Barrymore. And you were just like lighting all her movies on fire. Like it was just like you were pulling stuff out that I was like, oh, I didn't know that existed. Mariah's like T- the TV movies. Oh, the TV movies count. OK, I've got about six, seven more. Right. When everybody else is like, I have no idea. Let's I, I was out. waiting. I was waiting for you to be like Drew Barrymore is my mom. Like, you know, like, I just, like, <laughs> like, the crazy <laughs> thing is like half those movies that I mentioned, I actually haven't seen. It's one of those, like, Drew Barrymore is one of those actresses that's been in my life for so long that I know all of her movies. Sure. And there are ones where my parents wouldn't let me see them in the 90s, and I still haven't caught up. Like, one of the ones we're not going to talk about, but I remember my parents forbidding me from going to see it at the theater as Bad Girls. Oh, right. And for some reason, I still haven't seen it. I don't know. I feel like my mom's going to ground me if I go see it. Well, when we we'll, when we bring you back for part two of Drew Barrymore, we'll do that. We'll, <laughs> I'll do, finally we'll, watch we'll, Bad Girls. We'll cover, we'll cover Bad Girls. Um, I mean, I guess that's a, a, a good a way as any just to get right into it. Um, what, so y- you say that you've kind of followed Drew for uh, most of your film going life like what what was your intro yeah. to drew like what what i guess attached you so much to her as, as, an, a, as a performer as an elder millennial mm. uh i saw et not in theaters i was not born yet not because i'm not gen x but it was a staple you know kids movie mm-hmm. except that it scared the living daylights out of me and i watched it once and then refused to ever watch it again and i can still remember the green little sprockets on the VHS and I knew if they pulled out the green sprocket VHS I had to run away um so there's that and the ET has been haunting me my entire life pretty much 
But um, does it still Drew, like, does it still give you the willies? Yes, like, every time I see <laughs> ET anywhere, I'm like, no. And I remember I saw that movie. I was probably five, so like thirty years ago, and I remember everything that happens in that movie. And I don't ever need to see it again. It scared me so much. <laughs> I don't need to revisit. I don't need to face that fear. I don't care. But um, Drew Barrymore was sort of, you know, very popular child star when I was a kid. She's about ten years older than me. Um, and she also like, I think uh, I kind of have a round face. And so as a, a kid, people used to compare me to Drew Barrymore, who also has a round face. I could, I could see that. A lot. I can see yeah. that. I can see that. It, very when much, I was yeah. a kid, it was favorable. But when I was in high school, they used to, people used to make fun of me because Never Been Kissed had come out. And sure. it was like, someone asked me how much money I got for starring in that movie. And I was like, can you <laughs> leave me alone? And also the point of that movie is that she's the coolest one there. So you're not even insulting me. But um, <laughs> She was the youngest copy editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. She was. And she had great style both pre and post makeover. So um, so basically, I've just had kind of, she's sort of been like a phantom in my life this whole time. Um, but I also just find her, like, her screen presence really comforting. She's just sure such a, such a warm screen presence. Um, and one of the movies we're not talking about uh, ever after was like such a definitive movie for me as a I think I was 12 when it came out and it really is like I don't know why they need to make any other revisionist fairy tale <laughs> movies like that is the peak <laughs> I learned everything I needed to learn about being an independent woman from <laughs> Barry Morris Cinderella so as we all did as courtesy, we all did. <laughs> courtesy of Andy Tennant um. yeah <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. I feel like I, based on your description, I feel like I also at the time, like was, you know, like went to school with people who were probably in your sort of same situation who kind of idolized her for the same reasons. And let me tell you, Ever After was in like constant rotation with those friends uh, when it came out. And I realized I rewatched it the other night um, for the first time in a long time. And I thought to myself, like, oh, I think I only saw this when it came out and that was it. And then I suddenly have like a had like a wave of flashbacks because I found myself like quoting lines along with the movie. And I was like, wait, no, I've seen this movie like 15 times. Like I like <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like if people were of a certain age when that movie came out, it was like on heavy rotation. I destroyed my VHS. Like literally <laughs> it crumbled. I watched that movie so many times. For different reasons than you destroyed the E.T. VHS. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, and Mitchell, what about you? Like what, what, what was your experience, uh, with Drew? Yeah, I, I feel like the first has to probably be E.T. E.T. I feel like it's one of those weird movies that I have a thing with where like, it was so much in the public consciousness that I feel like I just ingrained it without maybe actually having seen it. Sure. So I think the, the first time that I actually fully watched E.T. start to finish was probably only like five years ago. But and like realizing that it was a lot darker than I ever like sure. imagined it was like all the adult stuff in it and like the experimentation and everything going on. I was like, oh, this is kind of messed it up. It is like a very sad film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. why it scared me as a kid. Yeah. I it's... mean, I, I totally get it. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think for me, so for Drew or at least my like familiarity with like this is Drew Barrymore because obviously E.T. like she's a kid. So like I didn't even maybe notice that it was Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. And so I think my first kind of uh, recognition of who she is was seeing Charlie's Angels, the, the first one that she's in when it came out. Because sure. I remember 
my mom was like really into that movie and like had she really had the poster of it in her closet like her bedroom closet <laughs> like a shrine yeah like a- <laughs> it was it, it was like above her filing cabinet in her closet and i just like distinctly remember that and being like well my mom's really into it so like i'll check it out like my mom's got good taste in movies so i'll check it out and i, I mean i was obsessed with charlie's angels 2000 as we all were i think you know mick g <laughs> yeah def- just I one of definitely our... a heavy another heavy rotation movie when it came out for yeah, sure yeah, yeah, it, yeah it just it was the venn diagram that like brought all teenagers together at the time yeah, basically right yeah. like all all three of them are so cool and then drew's like the cool one like she's very much playing off her image which i think we'll get into a lot with these movies she's very smart about her image and like mm. utilizing that for her role choices and she's just a badass in it and i rewatched it a couple weeks ago for the first time in like many years and the, that movie still slaps like crazy like that is such a fun movie and full throttle rules too honestly i, I watched that like right after I, pretty I was, good i i wanted to get both of your opinions on that because i did i watched when i i rewatched charlie's angels and then it ended and i was like and and i think i tweeted this when i watched it but i like did not remember that the movie is basically like less than 100 minutes which like yeah amen like <laughs> immaculate um but i so i immediately put on full throttle after and i rem i feel like the the vibe i get on in terms of like how people generally feel about full throttle now is that it is the better one am i like misreading oh, that I, I don't know that's kind of what i always kind of assume now is that like full people kind of take full throttle now as the one that like actually kind of just really was like unleashed out of the box like um, just in a way that like full throttle is seems almost like a a very apt title for that movie um i think i need to revisit both of them <laughs> i was looking at letterbox just now and i yeah. gave them both two stars and i remember distinctly there was a time in my life, it, I look back on it with shame, but there was a time in my life when I didn't like Cameron Diaz. Sure. And I think everything she was in, I was like, eh. I, I and, but I look, I've rewatched some of those movies with her that I didn't like her in. And I'm like, wait a minute, actually, she's really good. So yeah. I need to revisit and see um, if it's, they're actually really great. And I was just under this like <laughs> anti Cameron Diaz haze. I know I I totally understand uh, understand that though because I think the I feel like Cameron Diaz kind of gets this a lot in that period but I think these movies are very kind of keyed into this where like we had a we had a kind of opinion a, as a general movie consuming culture that like if a movie was dumb it wasn't in on the joke Mm -hmm. So like if it was being silly, we were like, oh, well, you're just bad as opposed to like it knowing exactly what it's doing. Yeah, it's like the first time I saw Zoolander, I hated it. And then I rewatched it a few years later and I was like, wait a minute. Right. (laughs) That's that's a really good example. You you like unlock it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the the Charlie's Angels thing, too, I think. And maybe that's kind of what you're picking up, Connor, too, from like the general opinion of it. I feel like Full Throttle has kind of gotten like this revisionist thing that yeah, where that's kind of what people I'm are about, like yeah. praising it more now. So the first Charlie's Angels came out and was like a big success. Like it wasn't super well received critically, but it was like I think it got decent reviews critically and then was obviously a huge commercial success. Yeah. And then Full Throttle came out and was like 
a notorious like bomb like people hated it so now it's kind of gotten the oceans 12 thing where people like yeah. recognize that it's, it's actually pretty good and then maybe that pushes it a little bit over the estimation of the first one which has stayed kind of like steady yeah exactly and i don't know i like just re-watching them straight up back to back as like very late night like let my yeah. eyes glaze over kind of watching <laughs> i I basically was like, yeah, I don't know. These are both basically fine. Like, I don't, you know, when you're kind of just, I don't know, when you're keyed into what they're doing. Um, yeah. And I will say they're the first one in particular is a lot less like problematic than I remember it being in my head, if that makes yeah. sense. Like. I, there's definitely some stuff McChee does with the camera, particularly as it pertains to like Cameron Diaz that like isn't the best. But generally speaking, I was like, oh, this movie kind of handles it itself pretty well, all things considered, um, as as it pertains to just depicting its three female leads. And I think a big part of that is Drew producing those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I just not, you know, not to go on a tangent about yeah. the Charlie's Angels movies. It was just no, it, an observation. Yeah. It, it reminded me of, um, you know, when we did the I was on the Gene Hackman episode of B-Side with you and Dan. How we talked I forget? About, <laughs> we talked about Heartbreakers with Hackman, which star he's in a supporting role and it stars um, Sigourney Weaver and Jennifer Love Hewitt. And it's from like pretty much, I think, 2001. So like right after the first Charlie's Angels yeah. and directed by a man, but does a similar thing to the first to both of the charlie's angels where it is sexualizing these women but from like the plot of the movie and from like the women themselves the actresses having their own agency it feels like it is in on knowing that they the characters are using their sexuality to basically like manipulate and you know take down these men who are just like slobbering fools who fall for them because they're smart enough to use their sexuality to like manipulate them right i absolutely yeah. love that movie i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i made robert watch it and um he thought it was dumb Oh. I, my I was like, you're wrong. Fantastic movie. <laughs> movie sorry, sorry, Robert, you are very wrong. It is Heartbreakers is a classic. Yeah, it is a classic. It um, no, that's a really great that's a really great comparison because it is. Yeah. When you you do get the feeling that everybody is on the same page with it. So it doesn't feel like anybody's being exploited. It doesn't yeah. really feel, you know, even if they are being sexualized, it feels like something they're at least involved in. Uh, yeah. In, in doing. Um. But yeah, in terms of just diving kind of into it, I mean, I don't know if I need to tee up her life story that much. It's fairly well documented, both for good and ill. Um, as I mentioned, she comes from the Barrymore family, Hollywood royalty. Um, she had a rough childhood, to say the least, and I don't want to necessarily gloss over it, but I, I, I do think it informs... A lot of what she does, particularly as like an adult, uh, and I think particularly more as she's had her own hand in producing and directing things that she's involved in, I feel like it really, really comes through. Um, but she basically, to sum it up, she was essentially in and out of rehab, uh, kind of dovetailing with her relationship or lack thereof with her mother. She was institutionalized for, I believe, 18 months in 88. Is that when it was? She was, I believe, like she was 13 yeah. and she was born in 75. So it would have been around around there. Um, and I believe and you were talking a little bit about it uh, off mic, Mitchell, that I, I believe she has since kind of come to 
sort of repair her relationship with her mother insofar as, you know, uh, at least reconciling things. But certainly something that has, I think, a, a tremendous uh, impact on her. And again, like I said, it's it's well documented. She also uh, she also writes about it in her uh, autobiography, which is uh, Little Girl Lost, um, which which goes into it in in great detail. But in terms of her acting career, um, she has a brief sort of tiny role in Altered States uh, and then comes out of the gate, basically, uh, in E.T. And then it's kind of off to the races. I mean, it's it's Firestarter. It's um, it's irreconcilable differences, which she gets a lot of good notices for. Um, and then it kind of gets into, you know, I, I believe Mitchell, you said you, you watched a few of the, did you watch, uh, you, you said you watch Motorama. I, that I, I did. I did watch Motorama. <laughs> which she's which not really she's, in that, right? It's, she's it's like, she's it, barely in it. Yeah. yeah it's I, on her Wikipedia. I think I listed her as a cameo. She's like, Motorama is a crazy, crazy movie. Dan, Dan actually recommended it to you and me to watch it because it's written yeah. by Joseph Minion who wrote After Hours, which is my favorite movie of all time. And, Motorama is basically like it's almost similar to like After Hours or like Miracle Mile, like one of those crazy like 80s. Um, I think it came out in like the early 90s, but like it's a like fever dreamish kind yeah, of like thing. a fever yeah. dreamish movie. But if if the main character was a like a 10 year old kid who everybody around them treated as if they were a full grown adult, like North? So this kid. <laughs> kind of that's like, like that's like the first thing like, that's coming kind on. of like North. And like the kid just gets like. Just disfigured and like various ways and like horribly abused the entire like he ends up with like an eye patch. He's got like on the poster, so it's not really a spoiler, but like just really horribly mistreated the entire movie. And you're just like, it's it's a bizarre experience. I think in my letterbox review, I wrote that like watching Motorama feels like being inducted into some weird secret club of like all the people who have seen Motorama because you can't really explain it to anybody. But so Barrymore is like only thing in it she is um credited as fantasy girl and she's basically just like this guy's like daydream this kid's like daydream imagining of what a perfect uh girl is which i guess at that time a 10 year old boy imagining of a perfect girl would be drew barrymore who was probably like 15 16 at the right, time right. And she's so just, she's yeah. a little older sure yeah um and then we get into we'll get into our first b-side which i have to say before we fully dive in Mariah, thank you so much for recommending all of these, because I actually do believe that this was a wonderful like crop of B-sides. I think. Oh, fantastic. I think not only is it like a really just good, you know, it's especially for someone like her who's had such an extensive career. It's, you know, it's it's sometimes hard to pick ones that feel like like milestones that aren't that aren't the hits. But um, but I feel like this does I feel like our four movies really encapsulate and a couple and two will will sort of mention briefly as we kind of go through her filmography. But I think our four B-sides really do sort of encapsulate a lot about her that makes her kind of like you said, Mariah, just that sort of, you know, innate, innately charming actor. Um and I think, again, covers sort of what I was speaking to in terms of how some of her, you know, some of her real life circumstances certainly seem to affect, uh, at least from my vantage point, seem to definitely affect the things that she's putting into her work. Um, so we have Poison Ivy, 
which is in 1992, uh, directed by Cat Shea, uh, written by Cat Shea and Andy Rubin. Cat Shea kind of came to fame through like she had worked with uh, Roger Corman, I believe, and and had done a couple Corman productions. Cat Shea is a kingmaker. If you look at the Roger Corman films that she directed, almost everybody that works in her camera crew has won an Oscar since. Yeah. And it, and cause she, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And she, um, it Corman and just in what I was looking through, uh, about poison Ivy and catch in general, like Corman even mentioned like, yeah, like she made movies for me that cost like a million dollars and they all made like 10 or 15, you know, like it, it like she was just, it, it makes sense that she rose to some level of, prominence what when she was sort of hitting the stride because it just it 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 feels like a project like this would work perfectly for her. i believe this was the first i believe this was a project that kind of she got attached to at new line if i'm not mistaken like it wasn't something she necessarily developed from the ground up um but she basically got it off the ground at new line it's an erotic thriller uh, with Barrymore and Sarah Gilbert and Tom Skerritt and Cheryl Ladd. And it's basically about this young woman uh, that is named Ivy, not actually named Ivy. That's what the, they call her in the movie. You never find out her real name. But she's basically this, you know, very uh, this sociopathic slash very charismatic uh how old are they supposed to be like i think they're supposed to be like 14 or 15 okay so they're like so they're like young high school too like yeah not being able to like should they drive together so right right yeah okay so do you have your license (laughs) so so yeah basically a a very sort of charismatic 15 year old and we'll say that'll be putting it lightly but um (laughs) she basically works her way into this life of this family through Sarah Gilbert, who's also kind of like a sort of a, a quiet, ostracized teenager, kind of goes her own way. Her dad, who's Tom Skerritt, is a conservative news show host. Um, and her mother, Cheryl Ladd, is basically bedridden with uh, movie illness, I believe. Do they ever? It kind of isn't. <laughs> it's, it, I, it's kind of implied that it's cancer or leukemia. But, but they, it's yeah. never like they, you just know she's like, like never say it. She's, she's like, like an oxygen. Yeah, she's mask. dragging <laughs> an oxygen tank around. That's kind of all all you ever get from it. Um, but Barry, she looks Moore, and she looks fantastic. Yeah, by the way. she looks that, she looks great. Was, that was the other thing I kept trying to figure out if if they were ever going to reveal that like Cheryl Ladd was like faking it somehow, right? Or, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. That's what I was like expecting <laughs> to happen because she does look. She does not look uh, like she's at death's door necessarily, but. Who am I to say? Um, (laughs) But anyway, so Drew Barrymore works her way into this family and essentially like really kind of works her way deep in there and uh, uh, uproots their lives. We'll we'll say I don't necessarily want to get too crazy into spoilers, but this movie is fucking bonkers. It's it's kind of wild that the studio like the idea that then Kat and her husband at the time developed was teenage fatal attraction that yeah. yeah that's basically that's basically while keeping while keeping the person he, the teenager is attracted to being a, te- a grown man 
Yeah, it's, it's like, like uh, the, yeah. the subgenre. <laughs> the subgenre that was described, I think, in the Wikipedia article was Lethal Lolita as like is wild, yeah, which I guess is a, a, as good a way as any to describe the movie. But it is, and it's not like the movie treats any of it as okay. So it's, but it is just yeah, it's baffling to watch. Like you're just like how everybody was just yep, we're gonna do it. Like yeah. Because it is, it's certainly felt like, I mean, it's coming off of, like, the Fatal Attraction yeah. era of, like, the 80s, Adrian Line, like, nine and a half weeks, like, all that kind of stuff. So it's, like, very erotic thriller, you know, at its peak. And so then you're seeing scenes, like, shot as if they are, you know, the same as these provocative, like, very sexual erotic thriller scenes. But it's, like, you have that recognition in your brain watching it where you're, like, well, this is still like a 15 year old girl and like yeah. a 60 year old man so. yeah. and admittedly i will say admittedly it does if you are younger than barrymore in general i feel like stuff like that is a, a little hard to process initially yeah yeah because yeah, you're yeah, like absolutely. well this is 92 and i was what you know like but then you're like oh no wait but she's like you know whatever she's like 17 here or whatever you yeah know? um and so, yeah, that shit is is <laughs> it, it's generally nuts. I and I forget, Mariah. Is this one of the ones you said you hadn't seen, or you had? No, had it's seen one this. I, I okay. saw this. Um, I don't think when it came out because I would have been six, but definitely. I hope like, you didn't see it. I mean, yeah, I mean <laughs> to be fair, my mom, as a child, my mom let me watch Silk Stockings, the um, the <laughs> right, erotic, yeah. you know cop show yeah um so so uh i may have seen this but not not bad like, girls not bad girls though. somehow not bad girls yeah <laughs> i probably saw this when i was eight or nine i would say definitely um right around when drew barrymore sort of moved into rom-com mm -hmm. queen era late 90s is probably when i saw this and isn't it it's funny to me that she almost it and and again i mean it speaks to her talents as a performer that like she almost kind of does the reverse of what you would expect most actresses to do in that in that sort of pivot, because she has this whole period of poison ivy and gun crazy like dude, she has the bad girl period. Right. Which which does feel like a natural progression from like I'm a child star and I used to be cute and adorable. That all makes sense to me. But she almost she pulls like a reverse Anne Hathaway almost where she has like her bad girl period in her teens and then decides like, oh, no, you know what? I'm going to be like sweet and nice. And uh, and so it's it's funny to watch a movie like this. Uh, but then, like I mentioned before, I feel like it totally tracks when you consider what she's probably personally dealing with in her in her yeah, mid, in her mid to late teens. You're like, oh, OK, this this all feels like you're putting compare. it out there teenage her in poison ivy to the teenage version of her character and never been kissed sure right yeah exact opposite <laughs> sure. kinds of teenagers you could double bill them that'd be a fascinating <laughs> double bill <laughs> so what i guess what if you you'd seen it what what prompted you to be like no this one definitely <laughs> like if we're, um, if we're talking four movies or whatever yeah i think i think to what you were saying about how it kind of reflects a bit of her own demons that she dealt with at 13 mm -hmm. you know like she'd been through rehab i think twice by the time she made this movie and she was 17 making this movie right mm -hmm. um there's a that's a lot to work through and kind of what i like about um 
Drew Barrymore as a as a as a person when she talks about her own work and her own life is I think I think she's always been a very introspective person. Sure. And and you can kind of see her almost playing with the image of, well, I was this, you know, teen, you know, 13 year old in rehab. I'm just gonna play that for you and and get that money, you know? Sure, <laughs> and, sure. Cause I mean it's harder, it would be harder to fight against that image, right? Yeah, yeah. She, it's of, kind of like a, is this what you want? Sure. Like here you go. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. yeah. But I also like that she in this period worked when she was making these movies that were um playing on that image, she worked with female directors Definitely, and I think yeah. found a very um comfortable work environment to to do this. And and she she worked with Tamara Davis, I think, three times. We haven't gotten to the Tamara Davis movie yet, but they made three movies together and and I think you can see in her filmography just in general she works with a lot of women and does some of her better performances um so part of why i wanted to to poison ivy is sort of having a reassessment mm-hmm. um you know it was on criterion channel they they did a a, a 20 year anniversary no 30 year thing <laughs> 30th <laughs> anniversary of the 92 sunday festival and a lot of people i think recently rewatched poison ivy and i think its reputation as being bad is unfair it's lurid yeah and right, it, it, right. it definitely straddles a taste line especially with modern eyes but the filmmaking is there and the performance is there and and so i'm just glad it's getting a bit of a reevaluation. i i totally agree i mean i think i think there are certainly technical elements you know that that might be lacking here and there. Like it's, it's not necessarily going to hold a candle to fatal attraction in my mind. Right. But, but that said, I do think like if this, if these movies and this genre is your speed, I think it is a totally like solid entry in the genre. Like, yeah, it's like a little trashy and a little silly, but that's part of the fun. Um, and I think part of it really, I mean, I don't know. I found myself affected in moments being like, Drew, like, you know, like <laughs> a, a little bit, like kind of pearl clutching a little bit. Um, but um, I will say the thing that struck me as the craziest thing in this movie wasn't even Drew Barrymore, a sociopath or any of that. It's that like Tom Skerritt's basically the worst person who's ever lived in this movie like because like there's like maybe a version of this movie where you can even if you're going to have him be seduced by drew barrymore you can still make it feel a little bit more logical or conflicted you know like he but it just legit again i don't want to spoil it too much but like there are things that happen near the end of this movie where Tom Skerritt basically completely abandons his duties as a father because he is just so all in on like being seduced by Drew Barrymore to the point where it is. I just found my I had to like track it back. I was like, OK, wait, so he anyway, I, I don't want to spoil it because I do think people should watch it because I, I think the less you know about it going in, the better. But I I really found I mean, I guess kudos to him for playing the part but it is really like they don't even try a, to give him like a smidge of conflict i feel like in this movie it is just like full-on like he's like basically a cartoon wolf from the minute he <laughs> sees drew barrymore yeah yeah it, and it's it's interesting that they play on him being a, a conservative 
news hosts too, because this is like coming out of the Reagan era, right, and right. like these are the the backbone of society. And the, he, you know, family is values, the nuclear family, yeah, and all yeah. of that, mm-hmm. and he just throws it all overboard. <laughs> yeah, it, so quickly too. He does not hesitate. The th- second that he meets uh ivy as yeah she's called you can like he immediately is just like all right we're doing this get 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 tommy scared some calamine lotion because he's just like (laughs) all up in that poison ivy um okay i can go to jail for that one um (laughs) but yeah i again i don't i I do want to there's so much i want to say about this movie but i feel like i really can't do it without spoiling it um and i really do think people uh people should watch it so suffice to say this movie takes some turns and makes decisions that are truly truly crazy and and to your point mariah i think on one hand you can watch it and be like this is silly or you know illogical or it doesn't make any sense and maybe you might be right but like i said i feel like sometimes with these movies that's like part of the fun yeah i i almost wish my like one hang up i think with poison ivy aside from thomas garrett's performance which i didn't think was very great like for me it kind of seemed like he was like being held at gunpoint the entire movie which i guess if you're doing this it's a little bit hard yeah yeah maybe if you're if you're giving a very good performance it almost makes you want to question the actor like why are you so good at that but like i'd be curious sorry keep going no you go ahead connor no 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 it just it feels um his character i think is what made me think this it feels like a very edited performance right yeah yeah yeah. um and which may be why i'm speaking to all the like rash decisions he's making and whatever because there's a lot there's also i will say the, the thing i really had a hard time with in this movie from a technical standpoint i think the sarah gilbert voiceover is like the terrible it's not her <laughs> fault at all it's not a quality of performance thing i think it just literally it's something I always look for in movies that have voiceover sometimes where I'm like, can I do I understand what you're doing visually without you saying anything? And sometimes the answer is right. no. Like sometimes movies use narration to fine effect. Most film noirs do. Right. And it's basically mostly fine. Um, but I do think this this definitely falls into the camp of like it's so wholly unnecessary. And I do think mostly a Band-Aid because I do think there are parts of the movie that do feel inexplicably rushed. And I feel like what gets cut out of the movie, it's a very short movie, by the way, like it's not, you know, it's like 92 minutes or something like that. Um, But it does feel almost, sorry, 88 minutes. Um, But it does just feel like, like maybe at some point, uh, New Line took a took a hacksaw to it, and maybe that's why there doesn't feel like there needs to be any conflict, or there is any conflict in the Scarrett performance. Like it feels like everything yeah. is just active, <laughs> active, terrible decisions. But sorry, yeah. go back to your thought about about that performance. Yeah, it was. I was just gonna say that like the one thing that I kept wishing was maybe it leaning a little bit more into like the sleaze of it, like mm-hmm. from uh like aesthetic or like directorial standpoint. I wish that I had felt like a little bit more like self-awareness from that aspect of it but i think that it was a really good choice for so many reasons for doing this uh about drew but especially because drew if anybody has any complaints about you know the movie whether you like it or not i think the one undeniable thing about it is that it's a fantastic drew barrymore performance yeah, she's, she is she's like, incredible she's so keyed in immediately yeah. and you don't doubt for a second like how whether it's Gilbert or Scarrett or even Cheryl Ladd who develops this like uh 
a relationship with Barrymore's performance that obviously isn't like sexual at all, but like a real familiarity with her mm. almost immediately when she meets her. And you totally understand from Barrymore's performance how everybody who comes into contact with this girl would immediately be like so drawn to her. Yeah. And like she would just be able to ingratiate herself within this family so quickly that she's like she meets them and the next day she's basically living with them. And yeah. they're all just like, yep, she's part of the family now. Like we're all actually obsessed with her. No, and I and I like that. I love that angle to it. Um, it all feels like it, and and again, maybe it ha- it feels like it happens fast, and that's part of the thing, right? Like, yeah, it just happened right. fast. It's like <laughs> she she was there, and then or she wasn't there, and then she was there, and that's I feel like maybe that's a way to to justify it, but um, but I do wish it had maybe you know taken a little bit of its time, and even the ending which again, I won't spoil. I do feel like this movie basically has, has no real, uh, come down. It literally is just like, well, and that's the movie. Bye folks. Which, which <laughs> yeah. part of me, I can appreciate a little bit. Cause that does feel like very old school. Right. In terms of like, uh, you know, like a pulpy noir kind of thing where like, you know, movies like this, you know, lured movies, you know, historically are just like they end <laughs> and then they end, right? Like the last, you know, the last thing happens and then they end. Um, but, uh, but any, any more thoughts on Poison Ivy before we, one, one thing in doing like reading about it, um, that I thought was amusing was that there was this list that Entertainment Weekly did. I think that it was in like 2008 that was called Lethal Ladies, 26 best big screen bad girls. That was oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. a ranking of like the best like bad women in movies. And Barrymore in this was number six. Which yeah, is we pretty, can we can link to that list. It's, it's I mean like deserves. Yeah, like you deserved, said, very it, deserved. Yeah, it's number one, Catherine Chamel and Basic Instinct, which I think makes well, sense. But yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's, that's a great one of those lists where you in. know you know you're you're actually <laughs> reading that list for number six because you right kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah you kind of know what five through one are. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, but. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i wholly agree i think she's great in it i think it is well i think it is well worth uh the watch and speaking of sort of lurid movies our our next one which came out basically the year it made roughly at the same time came out uh the year after is 1992/93's gun crazy and it itself is based on a 1950 film uh, with John Dahl and Peggy Cummins. And it is basically kind of a, a, a lovers on the run. The original I'm speaking to is basically like a lovers on the run movie. Um, it's a great movie. It's directed by Joseph H. Lewis. Um, it has an amazing heist sequence in it that is kind of done in this like long take um i mariah you're you're the creator of hashtag noir vember i'm assuming you've seen gun oh i've seen gun crazy many times yes i felt i felt like an idiot because i just i never want to assume with this stuff so like when i see two movies that have the same title i'm like i'm like oh that's probably not the same thing and then i'm like halfway through watching gun crazy and i like had to pause because i (laughs) drew barrymore's gun crazy because i had to pause and i was like no the way okay this is definitely like a, a pseudo remake of, of gun crazy. And it is, um, it's very different. It's not really, it doesn't really have the same setup. Yeah, it's more like a, like a spiritual cousin. Or yeah. Something. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, I, to the point where you could almost, I would almost believe someone if they said that like, 
they just had gun crazy as a working title because it was loosely inspired by the other gun crazy it's and then the, they, the bad lieutenant port of call new orleans of yeah yeah exa- that's, that's exact so this one is is uh gun crazy port of call new orleans and <laughs> it uh it stars drew barrymore obviously and uh this is uh this is the uh tamar davis one is this the first movie she made with tamar davis um, I believe so. Yeah. And I also have to point out that it co-stars James LeGrove, who Fascinating. is the greatest. Yeah. He was supposed to have the career Brad Pitt got. He was like the leading man in 90s independent yeah. cinema. And then he kept doing the character roles and Brad Pitt became a movie star. And it's like, okay. I but swap him. Swap I firmly, him. I firmly believe in James LeGrove's um, supremacy and I want him to win an Oscar someday. He never misses. Yeah, it is. It is a wild. It is a it was one of those things where I saw him in this and you do the thing where you're like, I know your face. Right. Like. Right. And I knew he was in, you know, I knew he had worked with Catherine Bigelow and stuff. So I was just like, let me pull it up. So just to your point, Mariah, just to to give James the shout out here, like near dark. Batteries not included, which I just watched for a work film club that somebody recommended, which is a lovely little movie if you haven't seen it. Um, Drugstore Cowboy, Born on the Fourth of July, Point Break. Um, then we get to Gun Crazy. He's in Singles. He's in Bad Girls. Yeah, I gotta see so Bad Girls. He is in yeah, bad so girls. <laughs> floundering. Honestly, Mrs. Not, I think Mrs. I... Parker in the vicious circle, living in oblivion. It's like safe. Yeah, safe. It's like, safe. Damn. It's uh and then most recently he's been in i think two um i just forgot her name um oh my god greatest american living filmmaker kelly Riker. oh in yeah the, um he's in yeah. women and he, he's gonna be in her new he's in showing up he yeah, yeah. just like love it yeah he basically just has a fucking great track record of like working with interesting people. I mean, he did a lot of TV who hasn't. He's got but, my favorite yeah. line in all of Zodiac. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, good for him. Right. That's- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's such a, um, and it's so great. His actually, I, I talked, uh, Dan and I talked with Blake Howard, our dear friend, uh, Shout out Blake. His, uh, yeah, on his Zodiac Chronicles podcast about this, how James LeGrow in Zodiac is the best because he's like a fucking desk jockey in the beginning of the movie when he has that great line where he's like, oh, good for him. And then he's the dude at the end. Yeah. Uh, who, yeah. Who, you know, helps. Uh, I was I was also on that podcast and when he asked what I wanted to talk about. I was like, can I literally talk about James LeGrow and nothing else? And he was like, yes. <laughs> Blake, yeah. how am I the only one who is not still on that podcast? Get me on that podcast, Blake. Oh, it's I mean, your podcast. yeah, well, he'll, he'll get you on his uh, master and commander podcast or something. Whatever is whatever's coming next. Would be happy one, to one minute. Um, but anyway, sorry. That's that's James LeGrow. Yeah, Mariah, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I quickly looking through James LeGrow's filmography, also in the Drew Barrymore film Big Miracle. What? So I haven't seen the that two, either. The two what of them are just. I gotta. I, I'm, these blind spots. Oh. Yeah, right. He's also apparently in Night Moves as Feed Factory Clerk. Oh yeah. So. See. <laughs> 
Kelly Record knows. Yeah. She, oh, she he's knows. In, right. He's in Scotland, PA. I remember that movie. Um, um, Floundering, by the way, is I watched it when I was I, Ethan Hawke is in it as his brother. So that's why I was watching it mm. is probably the most American independent movie if you know what i mean by that. Sure, sure. <laughs> you watch it and you're like yes <laughs> set in the aftermath of the la riots it's, it's starring that, it's a Legros. man going through a lot of like i'm white and i, I <laughs> wish i wasn't kind of feelings <laughs> so this is this is kind of fascinating i don't want to I, I don't want to use this as our segue because we do have to talk about gun crazy but he is in the Winona Ryder movie, Boys, which came yes. out at the exact same sure. time as one of our B-sides, which we'll get to. Boys, Boys is good. Um, well, Boys would be good if they hadn't butchered it in the edit. There's a whole interview with the director where she talks about how the editor just, they took it from her and ruined her oh. movie. But somewhere in Boys is a good movie. I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> I, hate that. Um, I digress. <laughs> so so anyway so uh mariah do you want to take us through through gun crazy a little yeah. bit yeah so gun crazy was one of the ones that i have wanted to see this movie forever and i knew it was this big moment in her career just in terms of working with tamara davis because i've seen some of her other movies with tamara davis and um so that's why i recommended it it gave me an excuse to fill the blind spot um and i'm glad i did because i it's a great neo-noir like Tamara Davis clearly understands and Matthew Bright who wrote the um, script, they clearly understand the machinations of noir. But what I love is that they, they took um, sort of these, these women that like, you, like Kathy O'Donnell plays a lot of these women who are clearly like um, abused girls and you wouldn't see it in the forties movies. It's like, it's in the background, mm -hmm. but here you actually see the abuse and you see them, um, kind of find a way out of it and escape from it. And weirdly, uh, Drew Barrymore's character in this finds it by writing, um, uh, becoming a pen pal with a, an inmate uh, on a class assignment. It's <laughs> wild that they were like, just write to anybody. And they were like, <laughs> and she matter. was like, my person's in prison. And they were like, okay. Uh. <laughs> and it, it's it's kind of, till it, till it kind of pivots a bit in the end, It's it's very like, anti or not anti it's very um it's very abolitionist like it's not right judging him for being uh in prison and it's not judging him for where he landed and it's not judging him for what he's trying how he's trying to rehabilitate himself it's it's a very progressive movie in terms of how people end up on the wrong side of the law and is the law actually even is there a wrong side because sometimes the law is wrong as it is right um it's, there's a lot of interesting ideas i think in this and then you know as we just like waxed philosophical and james legro james legro gives a really great nuanced performance as as a, a guy trying to get right but he kind of clap you know comes into um the orbit of drew barrymore's uh i think she's 16 in this one mm -hmm. um and they just can't they're just the whole world's against them. Everything's against them. There's nothing they can do to sort of get back where they think they want to be. And it's it's I don't know. It's just really a lot of ideas in this movie. Yeah, I I basically agree. I think it's got a lot on its mind because it never feels it never feels like a good thing. It never feels like a fun thing. Like any time a gun comes out in this movie, you're like, oh, no, like you're just you're waiting for the next terrible decision to be made. Yeah, basically. I think what's interesting in terms of the titles is in Gun Crazy, 
the original film, she really is crazy for guns. Mm-hmm. Annie Laurie Starr is just like, she, they turn her on. She likes to use them for many purposes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in this one, it's more like the title is, is it's crazy to use the guns. Every, right. they, she, they, <laughs> right, she yeah. needs it like to get out of some of these bad situations and she finds um, strength in it, but it just shows that it, that's, it's not, it's just the more she uses the guns, the more bad things happen. And, and I, often on accident because a gun was, was there. Right. Whereas if yeah. they were in that same situation and they didn't have a gun in their hand, they might've been able to get out of it. The gun was not helpful. There's a specific sequence. Uh, and now I'm forgetting. Is it in a hospital? Are they in a hospital? Right. Where she shoots the guard or is it in the school? Where- it's it's like right outside. of It is the hospital. I think it's right outside the hospital. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or she, yeah, she shoots him in the hospital. And then, yeah. yeah. It, they're in a hospital and Drew Barrymore winds up shooting one of the guards. And it it essentially is kind of the big explosive incident that sets everything in motion in terms of them going on the run. Um, and yeah, that, that scene in particular is just kind of this chain of events that they then can't escape. Right. Like they're just in this kind of stupor where they're continually like spiraling into these bad decisions because of the initial bad decision. Yeah. And like, there's a one sequence not to spoil tries to talk about without spoiling it where the the kids that have been bullying her they get into kind of an altercation and it escalates in a way that it shouldn't mm-hmm. multiple times because james the is holding a gun and if he was right. not yeah. holding the gun and they make it she makes it tamra davis makes it very clear through the dialogue through the way it's filmed that the problem here is not the altercation that's happening the problem here is the altercation with a gun involved yeah and and it's it's like the that's the kind of the argument everyone is making in this country of why we need to get rid of the guns is like the altercation. We're not, no one's saying the altercations aren't going to happen. We're saying yeah. they get worse. And so the consequences right. are worse when a gun is involved. Yeah. That is, it shows it very plainly. It, it's ne- I feel like in this one, yeah, it's, it's Tamara Davis realizing like, yeah, it's never going to make a thing better. Whereas like, there's a little bit of like in the first in the original one, there's a little bit of like, well, sometimes it might like I like <laughs> um, sometimes they're fun. Yeah, I, I was yeah. I was reading this interview with um, Tamara Davis and the, uh, the L.A. Times, like around the time that from around the time the film came out. And she said um, she said, I never held a gun before making this movie. I don't own one now. And the last thing I want to do is romanticize guns. I wanted to show that America is obsessed with guns and that if you have them around, bad things can happen because it only takes a second to pull the trigger, which is exactly what Mariah is talking about. Yes, exactly. That's (laughs) that's basically the whole movie in a nutshell. So, um, but yeah, no, again, I I had not seen it as well. So thank you for the rec, uh, Mariah, because I feel like what I liked about this kind of in a nice double bill with Poison Ivy is... This does this does give you sweet Drew Barrymore in a certain angle while still she like still gets to flex the bad girl energy a little bit. Um, And I feel like it really kind of handles the nuance of those two sort of disparate uh, seeming performances together. And she continually I don't know, I I, it's interesting because I never really had an opinion on her generally like or i'll just say like not a strong one ever 
And I just watching these movies, it really and maybe I just was never paying close enough attention, frankly. But just watching these movies, it it's it is fascinating to see how keenly she can calibrate her movie star persona because she does because she does have that thing and you know we've for those of you who listen like we talk about this all the time that there is just that one echelon you know there might be movie stars that are in things because they are good actors and they're popular and their movies make money and then there is that echelon of movie stars that just have that that unquantifiable thing, right? The thing that makes them magnetic or, or, or what have you. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, Mariah, I mean, that's, I think on display in this movie as well. Cause it's just like, I, I don't even know if, you know, by general standards, she's giving some like out of the park performance, but I still just can't take my eyes off of it, you know? Um, and I think there's certainly something to be said for that. But, um, but that said, we we get into kind of another um, another sort of on the run movie that then becomes something else entirely, uh, which is sort of fascinating. Um, she so she does gun crazy and then she pops up in a couple cameos. She gets into she's in Wayne's World, Two for a second um she is in 1994's bad girls which we have mentioned which is basically a western about four female outlaws who are sex workers as well they're like prostitutes who then become outlaws is that is that the deal yeah with that i movie? think they i think it's sort of like the Thelma and louise like um they kill somebody because they were, you know, being assaulted and then they yeah. become criminals because they're already being branded as criminals. So might as well. I don't know why my mom wouldn't let me see this movie based on every <laughs> other movie I saw with her as a kid. I like, she let me watch Under Siege. She let me watch <laughs> Crimson Tide. She wouldn't let me watch Bad Girls. I don't know. It's kind of funny because I'm now, I'm just looking at Bad Girls and then our next B-side, which is Boys on the Side. And then the... F- and then the film that follows it, uh, which is Mad Love with Chris O'Donnell. Classic. Um, my brother. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have to make that joke because Dan makes it every time he comes up. Um, but I do have a brother named Chris who lived in L.A. for a time. And definitely, yeah, it's Chris O'Donnell. Definitely we, we just, got in, Connor, we just said. <laughs> definitely got into more than one restaurant just because of his name for, for sure. Um, but... <laughs> But anyway, so they she does Bad Girls and then we get to Boys on the Side, um, which is, I believe, Herbert Ross's last movie. I think it is. It indeed. is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, directed by Herbert Ross, um, written by Don Roos, co-starring Whoopi Goldberg and Mary Louise. Par- I say co-starring really Barry Moore is kind of the basically the co-star here uh, with this one. It's definitely more of a of a Whoopi. It's Whoopi's movie. Yeah, I, I, this was one I hadn't seen and had wanted to catch up on for so long. And it was nothing like I thought it was M- right. going to be about. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I now when it started, I was like, yeah, this is kind of what I thought this movie was. And what it turns into is something else uh, entirely which which we'll get to um mitchell you want to take boys on the side 
Yeah, sure. So it starts um, great scene with Whoopi Goldberg. She plays a lounge singer. It starts mm. with her singing "Peace of My Heart" by Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company. She's wonderful. I it started immediately. I was like, "Yep, I love it. Um, I'm in for this." <laughs> and she, what is she? So she like breaks up with her girlfriend, right? And she wants to go from New York City to LA and just um, finds like an ad in the paper for. Uh, Mary Louise Parker's character, who's a real estate agent, who's looking for like a traveling companion mm -hmm. to go to L.A. And so they start on this road trip. On the journey there, they stop by, I think, Pittsburgh, yep. yeah, right, Pittsburgh. To, to pick up or to see um, Drew Barrymore, who's like an old friend of Whoopi Goldberg's character. Quote, unquote, friend. Yes. Quote, right. unquote, <laughs> friend. Right, 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 right. Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg is playing a lesbian in the film. Yeah, so, and then... There's an altercation there with Barrymore's um, abusive boyfriend. They, I mean, I guess it's not really a spoiler because that happens in the first like 15 no, minutes I think of the we movie. Can, I think we can talk through that part. Okay. Yeah, go, go for so it. So they murder him and, um, and then they basically, yeah, like as Connor said, they go on the run. So it's like a little bit Thelma and Louise, but they stop and they, where is it that they stop? Tucson? Tucson? Tucson. Yeah. Tucson. Yeah. So they stop at Tucson and then they basically just like settle in. And the crux of the movie is them having been settled in in Tucson and like living their lives there. And we just see them kind of inter you know, interacting with, they have various romantic interests. And it really is just like this movie about these women bonding together and like building this life together. I look, the tagline for it really caught my eye, which is just says, a motion picture that celebrates the art of survival, the gift of laughter, and the miracle of friendship. Which, <laughs> I mean, I guess in a way, it's yeah, not a short. That's, I mean, that, yeah, that is what the movie is. I suppose that is, that is kind of what the movie is. But yeah, <laughs> as you both said, I so I had seen, I hadn't seen the film before, but I had seen the poster like so many times. Um, I, I have used the to work trailer, at a video like, store. I have the trailer right. like burned into my head. Yeah. yeah, and like the the poster is just them all, the three of them together. Like, like blowing out birthday candles mm -hmm. and so i was like yeah i know what that movie is gonna be like it's you know gonna be this very specific kind of thing very much like what you would expect maybe our herbert ross movie to be sure. and it, it is really different and it's it tackles i think a lot of themes that were sort of in more in the consciousness in america at the time um whether it's like HIV comes into it in a really big way. And uh, as we mentioned, Whoopi Goldberg is an out lesbian and it Barrymore's character, obviously dealing with having this abusive boyfriend and everything. So it's like tackling subject matter that I think abusive wasn't ba baby daddy, right? It, abusive baby yeah, daddy. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. She's, she's pregnant. Um, we discover early on as well. And so it's like tackling, I think a lot of, potent subject matter that wasn't being tackled especially in like mainstream american cinema at the mm -hmm. time and i think you can maybe criticize it a little bit for the ways that it tackles some of this stuff now like looking back at it now maybe it doesn't dive into it as much as you would want it to yeah i kind of went back and forth on that spectrum watch yeah this yeah movie yeah for sure. exactly yeah. and so i think that it comes to from that like perspective of looking back at a movie in 1995 right now and thinking like well yeah, maybe they skirted over certain things. Maybe there are certain characters whose fates go like certain ways that read a little bit like touchy or problematic to me now. Mm -hmm. But like when I think of them even going there at, at all at the time, I'm like, well, it's kind of dope that they even would be like willing to do that and pushing yeah. themselves to do that. 
but yeah, I mean, what did you, so Mariah, you, you've been wanting to see it for a while. What did you think of it watching it this time? Yeah, I, first of all, like this is a Drew Barrymore podcast, but I also really love Whoopi Goldberg. Sure. Um, She's yeah. so good in this. Yeah. And Jack Flash was like a formative movie for me as a child. Um, and every time I get a new Whoopi Goldberg movie uh, the, i'm because i i thought i'd seen almost everything she did in the 90s and there's always like one or two that i haven't seen sure. somehow you know i saw the one where she was you know a, a dinosaur was her cop partner <laughs> or whatever but I, I missed this one i don't know but um you mean theodore so, rex yes theodore theodore rex. Rex, <laughs> i saw that in theaters but, but she's so good in this it's one of those so movies you watch it, it. i was honestly blown away like yes I, you watch it and you're like yeah. hollywood failed her like yeah. yes she made she kept her name you know in the ether forever and unfortunately with the view and made money and everything and paid for her life and her child's life and all of that but as a dramatic actress oh hollywood man. failed her just she's so good what a fucking barn burner of a performance like, yeah i i would I, like all three of them yeah. her mary louise parker andrew barrymore you know whatever slight criticisms i might have with the movie all the three of them are phenomenal and i think yeah to the movie being so much about their friendship you know the miracle of friendship as the tagline says the <laughs> the chemistry between the three of them like you genuinely by them like as friends and like developing this bond and it really is like such just a genuine delight watching the three of them together on screen and yeah like a goal yeah as as mariah said like it's it's fascinating watching this movie like not knowing really too much about it and like immediately being like holy crap like Whoopi goldberg is mm. such an incredible actress and like it is a shame that there's not more out there of her just like acting yeah, it, it made me almost glad that I had missed it for 20 plus years because right. I had a new great performance from her sure. to discover because I know I'm probably not going to see when the, the role she takes now or the role she's offered now are clearly not up to her, what her capabilities are. No, I, I think that's 100% correct. And like, it's, she's not like acting with an A in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, it is such an even keel real performance i would argue you know i would argue of the three of them i think mary louise parker is doing a little bit of acting with an a sure but she, yeah, she, she, she has her, the role yeah, that kind her, of she has to exactly i think her yeah. her plot in the movie kind of dictates that a little so it's again it's not really a knock but i it just it should, whoopi goldberg is just the backbone of this movie in such a fascinating way um you get a little you also get a little bit of matthew mcconaughey for your money in this you get some play, that, playing a cop named abe lincoln yeah okay, come on that I mean, character come on. yeah is the most like a cab like yeah <laughs> the things he does i'm like what i don't want to spoil it because i want everyone else to be like what yeah and when they watched it but like yeah what? and i feel like the Wild. only reason it kind of flies is because and this isn't really a spoiler, but halfway through the film, he becomes the 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 love interest for Drew Barrymore. And it it's funny because the movie plays it. And this is maybe a thing that is obviously, a, you know, aged in a certain way. The movie plays it like, oh, you're getting involved with a cop. Like, don't you know, we're like on the run. Like, that's <laughs> the problem. Whereas, like, if you were really this this woman's friends like you'd be like you're getting involved with a cop like what like, yeah, what yeah, you yeah. Do just, kind of... just period yeah just, just period. that's yeah. it <laughs> um but but yeah it 
and and you know they try and whatever they try and paint him a certain way because a per he's a person who's striking up a relationship with a you know with a, a pregnant, pregnant woman yeah. and he's fully willing to like help support her and all that stuff which sure <laughs> i feel like part of the and this is a credit to drew i feel like i have definitely known people that are drew barrymore in this movie mm-hmm. who will just make that decision and even though you you as the objective friend or observer you're like oh no you like right. you believe that she's doing the thing that makes her the most happy and you're like okay like go go with god like kind of thing and i think drew helps sell that there's like a naivete to her performance that you know I don't think is really um, it's not like infantilizing or anything like that necessarily. It's just it it's a distinct sort of. Yeah, I it's almost it, like she just like enjoys. Yeah, she just like enjoys life so much that she doesn't like she just connects with like the good in life and like the joy of like life. So like she meets this guy that she finds charming and, you know, handsome and he really likes her. And so she doesn't, you know, take it that next extra level where she's like, oh, well, but also he's like a cop and I'm on the run and like whatever, whatever. She's just like, yeah, he's a really, you know, sweet guy. And yeah, it's I, I agree with you. It never felt like it was like infant. I can't say the word. It's a, it's a tough. It's a tough it's one. A, I was having the same problem. With it. But yeah, it's, it's just like they don't treat her like a baby. Is yeah, the yeah, point. yeah, they don't. They don't treat her like a baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it never. It never felt like disparaging in any kind of way. Like she's just like dumb. Like she just is a little. Yeah, a little naive. But in that way, where she's. Very, it it could almost be like manic pixie dream girl e like she's like quirky and like fun, but I guess that it that it's that's taking it in that direction. Yeah, of, you know she's just like a baby. But and the thing too is that the that manic pixie dream girls are very much existing to facilitate the growth of a man, and this movie is very distinctly about these three women. Which right, is really and nice. I, that's what I was just gonna say. I think a lot of what you're talking about is definitely it's the the maybe potential worse instincts of creating a role like that are curbed by the Whoopi role and the Mary Louise Parker role yeah. in a, in a, you know whatever in a nice way that that a set of three friends would probably do that for each other anyway right like it's they 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 all seem to kind of uh keep their maybe their worse instincts at bay but um there was a moment in this movie, and I won't give it a ton of context, but I do want to talk about it because I think it's a beautiful piece of writing and it's a beautiful piece of acting. Uh, it doesn't involve Drew, but it does involve Mary Louise Parker and Anita Gillette, who plays her mother. And it it's kind of a I love moments like this in movies, uh, you know, whatever, particularly between like parents and their kids or whatever that are they're not given necessarily dramatic weight and they're almost treated as they could be throwaway lines. And what I love about stuff like that is like, that's the way things are just, you know, that's the way certain things are just delivered in real life sometimes. But one of the things that is sort of an underlying thing for Mary Louise Parker's character throughout the movie, as they're going on this road trip before they settle in Tucson is they're stopping at all these places and she's recapturing these moments that she had with this one road trip with her family. Um, 
particularly involving her brother before her brother passed away when he was very young. That's like an ongoing thing. And her mother catches her one night looking at this photo album and just sort of offhandedly says, I don't even know if the camera's like on her when she says it. She just goes, you know, nobody was happy in those photos, right? And I just like, it, I was watching this in like the middle of the afternoon and I was like, well, I wasn't expect to, I wasn't expecting to like feel this much right now. Like just <laughs> such a simple, and, and, and I, I, I bring it up only because I think there are little moments like that that are tucked throughout this movie that are really lovely. Like I just, it, it's really snuck up on me. Cause I, there's a, there's a version of this movie that is more saccharine and more cloying and it is saccharine like it is it definitely has a little bit of that but there's a version of this that does it worse and i think this just airs on the like totally palatable side of that and that is kind of an instance of one of those things i think and i think someone like the you know drew and these other two leads have a lot to do with that like they just you get you think you know what you're going to get with them, but they are all such capable performers that they're able to like bring a little bit of nuance into something that you might not have that just whatever a lesser a lesser uh, actor would have would have done. And I think, yeah, I don't know. This movie rules. I like really just wasn't <laughs> I I, really, yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting to kind of be as taken with it as I was, but. Yeah. And in doing um just like research on this one in particular, one thing that I found uh really dope was the fact that uh Whoopi Goldberg is apparently the reason that Barry Moore was cast in it. Like she hmm. they hadn't cast that part yet, but Whoopi recommended uh Drew Barrymore for it because they were like, I guess friends since um it said that Drew Barrymore visited the color purple set because Aww. she's like uh, um, because Steven Fred. Spielberg's her uh, godfather, godfather and everything right. so they like yeah. became friends from that and they just like knew each other well and when they were trying to figure out who was going to play that part Whoopi Goldberg recommended Drew Barrymore which I again speaks to you know that chemistry and that closeness between the actresses that I think sells it above anything else that yeah could have hold it back they do a really good job in that regard too of when she's like oh we have to go see my friend and the minute they see each other you're like oh these two definitely already know each other. like it just yeah it, it, it's it sells you on that really easily it's also just a great final film for herbert ross who oh, directed yeah. so many wonderful films about women sure like he's one yeah. of the great like you know women's picture directors if you will and just it, it yeah has a has a, has a knack for it in a way that again i think in in another director's hands i mean certainly another male director's hands could have been way more like pandering and and uh and it never really resorts to that i think it maybe it flirts with it occasionally you know like uh particularly when you get to some of the courtroom drama stuff that occurs towards the end of the movie, but weird movie, weird movie. It, it, it's, it's all over the map. It's got a lot of, it's got, <laughs> we'll just say it's something for, it's got something for everybody, but, and, and in a way that, like I mentioned to you, Mitchell, I think my, my meter on it was kind of going all over the place while I was watching it. 
but I didn't hate that about it. I was just sort of surprised by it. Yeah, um, I, th- I think uh, what Mariah was saying too about Herbert Ross is is really on point because it is the only of the the main four that we're covering here. It's the only one directed by a man, but yeah, which speaks to yeah. Barrymore's consistency with working with female directors, like from the beginning of her career. But yeah, it is when she chooses to work with a man. It is a guy who you know, seems to very much understand women and like the bonds between women and the nuances and the dimensionality of women and creating these characters who helping create these characters who are like full bodied women when they could have just been, you know, I mean, it's watching the movie, you know, to what I was saying at like the beginning of it, like it could have very easily just been like, this is the one who has AIDS. This is the one who, you know, is pregnant and killed her abusive boyfriend. This is, you know, the black lesbian. And like, it could have just been these like surface level, like ticking the boxes of things. Feels and, like, like the beginning of a joke, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But they, it, it transcends that. And they really just feel like actual human beings, which should, shouldn't be, like that should be a low bar for a movie to pass, sure. but, but especially, yeah. yeah, exactly. Especially at that time, like it is a bar that not a lot of movies were passing the way that this one does. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. I think, you know, I mean, if 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 I were to level a criticism, I think the one side effect that might be inescapable from this from that setup is that it might be trying like too, too many things, you know, just I think from like a narrative standpoint. And I think there's an intention here to really try and cover them all in like meaningful ways. And I think that's admirable. I think ultimately, like I mentioned before, I do think Barrymore does get sidelined into being like sort of the supporting co-star here. And I do think it becomes a little bit more of, you know, definitely Whoopi's movie. But certainly like a, a whoopee Mary Louise Parker um, movie in that regard. Um, other stray thoughts. Um, James Remar in this, I also <laughs> really liked. Like I I was so impressed. And this is maybe a nice way to, you know, tee up our next movie as well. I like what I loved about this movie. And when movies can do this well, it's always so pleasing, especially when they try to be like, you know, uh, movies about real people or whatever. Right. (laughs) Is that it lets its character, all of its characters be kind of shitty. And I and I really liked the James Remar performance in this kind of for that reason, like. It's such a it's a beautiful casting, number one, because you just you see James Remar and you're like, yeah, this doesn't feel like it's going to be any good. Like you're kind of like, <laughs> you know, like there's no way this guy is on the level. And he, yeah. he plays someone who's sort of vying for the affections of Mary Louise Parker once they've settled in Tucson. And I don't know. It's a really, really lovely supporting performance, I think, from him. Um, I think he just really handles like being a little maybe you know not never being a creep being a little maybe kind of a bit of a prick here and there because he's just sort of doesn't understand the situation but the movie handles it in a way that it all feels you know it all feels understandable kind of from an an objective standpoint um and yeah i don't know i always just like performances like that yeah he's one of those actors when he shows up i know he's going to make choices that aren't the sure. obvious choices. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think he he really has some interesting, he makes some interesting choices in this movie. And to Mitchell's point, could have easily been a caricature and instead feels like a truly real flawed person. Yeah. yeah. I, I think of the, the leads that kind of occupy the movie, 
I mean, I feel like McConaughey is the one who does not. Yeah, I feel like this was before he tried. Sure. To right. Be, uh, like an actor. Um, we, yeah, because we it's watching, like right after. Sorry, yeah, we, we were, um, I was talking to Robert about, he was watching this with me. And um, I guess McConaughey, between um, Days and Confused and like those like dramas he did in the late 90s, just didn't try acting like he just he had the vibe right yeah. and then he thought you know what i'm just gonna vibe through things and he took <laughs> a role in a movie where without reading the script where he had to do a four-page monologue in spanish <laughs> and didn't know this until the day they were filming we actually watched a little bit of the clip um it's terrible it's terrible spanish and that was the movie that made him realize that maybe he should try to learn how to act and not just go by the vibes. And sure. I think that this movie came out right in the middle of that transition. Um, you know, it's before t- time to kill um, and all of that. And I think he's in a time to kill, right? I'm not yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think he, you can see that he clearly was trying, but you can see that he's trying and no one else is trying because they've all already hit that phase of their acting. Right. No, that's, I think that's 100% correct. Yeah. For those wondering, 1995 Scorpion Spring is the, the movie, movie that Mariah is talking <laughs> That's about. The movie. <laughs> it's you can watch the scene, the for, the the Spanish monologue scene on YouTube, and it is rough. He is the vibes are not enough. <laughs> I am. That is exactly what I'm watching after we finish recording. <laughs> I think too. It's. I mean, it's not the worst casting i will say like just it makes when i saw him i was like that makes sense as a casting choice. yeah like if you need someone to be a hot cop who yeah. is someone who you totally believe as a cop but is also maybe comes across in innately nice enough that you might overlook that right yeah he seems like okay he seems like okay cat like i feel like if they made this today it would be like adam driver or somebody like it would be like Sure. Somebody that you'd be like, oh, I could believe that you would be a cop, but I also believe that someone would think that you're like hot enough or nice enough to maybe like, you know, James Legros. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Honestly, you cracked it. You cracked it, Mitchell. Should have been James. I got Sh- it. Should have. Should have. Should have been a reunion. Um. Yeah, because I do think that's that's kind of the hardest part with his character. He feels like such a caricature, and I. It, to your point, Mariah, like maybe because he's got that try hard energy in the performance, it is tough to tell whether it's the way the character is written or if it's the way that he's just get, getting it off the page. But yeah, um, he's definite. Yeah, I think he is definitely kind of the unfortunately, Matthew. Sorry, I think he's he's definitely I say this because he's obviously he's like, he's, he listener. always does. He's texted. He's texted me. He said, you're on the B side again. I'll, you know, I listen to every single one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I do think th- that, you know, I, th- that's boys on the, he's just one of the boys on the side. He is he's he one, is he's one of the boys, <laughs> boys on the, he's the titular I, role. I will say, do we, I mentioned, I sort of jokingly mentioned the film boys before and I've been, uh, you know, I've been obviously talking to Dan Mecca as I've been watching these movies kind of off and on. And, um, he was the one who brought boys to my attention and we had a quick little conversation about like, which is like, cause I was kind of wondering like, is this a good title for this movie? 
and I don't boys on the side. Yeah, I don't. I'm not convinced it is. But that it doesn't he, make a lot of sense to me. Well, well, there is there is the moment where she explains it, right? Like, right. Mary the Louise boys Parker, are on the side. Yeah, she's like, you treat your boys like side dishes as opposed to like people that should be in your lives and support you, right? And she, and her mother says that it's kind of a, a a negative, right? But obviously, that is the whole ethos of the movie, right? And so when you get far enough along in the movie where you realize what it's doing. I understand why that's the title. It's not like it comes out of nowhere that it's like slapped on. I just kind of was wondering, like, is there a better one? I don't I, I'm not convinced there is necessarily, but I'm also not I'm, I wasn't entirely sold on this one either. But it did make me think that, like, I guess it's a better title than boys. Like, you know, because boys <laughs> could be just anything, whereas I at least, you know, having seen the movie, the title at least stick, you know, the title boys on the side sticks in your mind or whatever. Um I think I used to conflate it with Home Fries, another oh, yeah, movie right. that I have missed because I knew Home Fries has to do with a waitress and Boys on the Side seems like it should be about a waitress. Similar, um, sure. similar sure. vibes. Yeah. Side dishes. But, uh, I still need to watch Home Fries. That's Now I feel like all these Drew Barrymore blind spots, I'm just going to Home Fries is them. Luke Wilson? Yeah. yeah. Vince Gilligan, right? He's got, Vince, he's, Vince Gilligan right there? He's got good vibes. Yes, that was Vince Gilligan. I think it was his first like feature luke wilson could be a cop boyfriend yes you know he's probably has been a cop boyfriend (laughs) honestly (laughs) yeah who who knows that yeah he's got he's got that energy um the yeah home fries i haven't seen it in a million years i remember it being kind of charming though but it's been it's got a wild plot yeah it's been a minute i also i feel like home fries is a movie i conflate with the movie cookies fortune (laughs) <laughs> does that make kind of kind of good does that make sense like i feel like they just it does I, make they sense. like exist i also i'm not even looking at like the poster or anything to home fries but don't live tyler and drew barrymore have like similar kind of looks like similar like do's or am i making that up doesn't drew barrymore have like super short hair in home fries she's yeah. got like a red like perm uh, yeah it's okay. like that, right. that 90s perm yeah don't that was yeah, so yeah, popular don't listen to me then um <laughs> I'm, I'm making it up but um but yeah can't honestly can't recommend it enough boys on the side it's streaming you can watch it it's you yeah, watch it's, it. it's, it's on hulu it's it's available it's uh, a nice just a nice motion picture um and that, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit. So Boys on the Side, that's 1995. This is where she's like movie star Drew, right? Like she has the supporting role in Batman Forever, so it hasn't really kicked in yet. Did she like date Chris O'Donnell or something? Because I feel <laughs> I like- Ask your brother. I don't know. <laughs> You're the one with the end, Connor. Come on. I, um, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot him a text right now. Um <laughs> No, but it's it's just funny because she does that in Mad Love with Chris yeah, O'Donnell. Like back, back to back, Back right? to back. It could also just be one of those like studio and or agent things where it's like two people just kind of surround right. each other for for like a minute. Um, then she does Everyone Says I Love You. Then she pops up, uh, obviously, in the famous opening of Scream in 96. Great opening. Uh, past uh guest and f- dear friend Teresa Scott and I have an ongoing conversation about what color her pants are in the opening of Scream. Oh, good question. Because they, uh, and I'll just, all the listeners at home, just Google it or look it up. It's, they either look like super washed out denim, like bleached denim, or they're like white pants. And we couldn't 
we we couldn't figure it out. I remember Teresa. I'm team bleached out denim. Cause it fe- that was my thing too. Cause it, it they're like kind of blue looking, but then yeah. my production brain kicks in and I'm like, maybe that's a color temperature that, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, eh, maybe they're white and there's just some blue light in there <laughs> or whatever. Um, but I was bleached out denim as well because it just feels, it, but I feel like so does white denim, you know, like I feel like white denim also feels like it totally could have been in of the time thing. Um, anyway, listeners at home you know figure it out and and get back to us and let us know what color drew barrymore's <laughs> pants are in the opening of scream um then she does uh then she does best men uh a couple a year later she does the wedding singer which i mean maybe top three drew barrymore what yeah. do you think that i i think so right like if you're just looking for, I, and what's funny is like if you look at her known for I think never been kissed is the first thing that comes up right on her IMDb. Um, and it just, to me, it just feels weird that, I mean, I get that she is the definite lead of that and she's not the co-lead in an Adam Sandler movie. Right. I mean, wedding singer is not even on her. Right. Uh, that, her that feels insane to me That's because weird. to me, wedding singer does feel like one of the exemplary things of like, it's like the first thing if, that I, other than yeah. Charlie's angels, probably. Yeah. Yeah. What if someone just like unleashed singer, all their charm on screen? Like the like, wedding right. singer ever after never been kissed the three in a row, basically with home. Yeah. kind of in there in the middle. Yeah. Like, yeah. Un, that un, unstoppable undefeated. Undefeated. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's an insane run and it really um yeah, I don't know. Her and the wedding singer, I just it it's so hard it's, to watch that movie and not develop just the biggest crush in the yes, world. Like she's so yeah, charming yeah. in that. And um, and a, a perfect like it's also a great just perfect pairing for Sandler, who I love Sandler, always sure. will. Yeah. But the women he was paired with prior to that really their, their roles were underdeveloped. They didn't quite get actresses who knew how to go like in a screwball comedy style banter right. match with him. Um, and she was the first one who came in there and was like, "It felt no, it really... we, are, we are sparring partners here and of charm. And it's it's just perfect. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels like he finds, you know, he finds his uh, his Lombard or or yeah. Loy or whatever you want to call it. Right. Like, right. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. He just and it's it. I do think obviously they're, you know, they're continued collaborations are kind of diminishing returns. I haven't watched 50 first dates in a million years. I remember it being charming for what it was. But I don't really. Do I can't. Of you I have got any strong I saw it in, about that movie. I saw Fifty First Dates in theaters and mm-hmm. got like violently sick on the ride home. So <laughs> I like can't. I can't watch it because like thinking about it, just it or triggers. like seeing it. It's, yeah, it's like that. It's, it's your uh, that, like Pavlovian that's, thing. That's it's your my, ET. It's my ET. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can't. I can't. I can't associate with it because I just start feeling sick. Mariah, do you like Fifty First Dates? I remember liking it when I saw it in theaters. It was one of the final films, I think, released my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that like warm, like I'm about to go out into the world. Right. But I'm watching these last few movies as a as a kid kind of sure. feeling. So I don't yeah. actually know if it's any good. Um, <laughs> but it had a great soundtrack. I remember that. I mean, a lot of these movies had great soundtracks. Boys on the Side has a great soundtrack. And I feel like... I feel like Drew Barrymore and I have the same taste in music in like the mid to late <laughs> 2000s because like, and we'll talk about Whip It for a little bit in a second, but like 
you get to whip it and like that soundtrack is like a banger yeah it's so, it's so good um granted i think it was also it's of that time where like smaller indie movies like part of the tactic or the thing was like let's just assemble the fucking yeah. coolest you know it's the garden uh, state tactic yeah no ex- yes, ex- exactly yeah, yeah, like, exactly and you know it is one of those things i feel like i think about the garden state soundtrack all the time for that reason because you're just like <laughs> the movie has aged so many wh- which ways but like the, I'm like, the yeah, soundtrack is still it still yeah. fucking rules yeah. i don't know like I, just whatever sam and call, I, sam call and, uh, my part my partner sam and i were just flipping through hbo max like last night trying to find something to watch and we settled on the truman show but one of the things that we were looking at we watched the trailer for uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which sure. is exactly like, I mean, they literally named the movie after like, yeah, they're hey, just this saying, is, the, they're this saying the quiet part out loud with <laughs> yeah, that one. Exactly. Yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. Um, but anyway, yeah, at 50 First Dates, I just have a vivid memory of sitting in on my living room floor, like eating like pizza and watching 50 First Dates. I was in high school. We had just moved. So maybe that's why I haven't revisited it, because I'm like, oh, that was kind of nice. That's a like, nice. That's a yeah, really nice memory. Yeah, yeah. So I just maybe I don't want to like tarnish it. Um, point is, they later did Blended and we're not going to talk about it. Um <laughs> But basically, so she has, uh, as Mariah mentioned, that sort of barn burning run after Wedding Singer. And she pops up. Uh, she has a a voiceover role in the animated Titan AE, a movie I also liked a lot uh, when I was a younger boy. Um, I feel like young boys loved that movie. But um, but then she follows it up with Charlie's Angels same year um obviously we talked about it. it's the it's like a massive hit and has i feel like a heavy rotation on like teenage parties and or sleepovers and or like it's just one of those movies that like i mentioned before kind of crosses this venn diagram of of i feel like uh teenage viewership uh that that turned it into what it is uh, then pops up Donnie Darko. Uh, Freddie got fingered during her Tom Green phase. Um, they were they married? Am I remembering? They that? were in, yeah. They, they were, were yeah. They were married for like a year or like nine months. I feel like yeah, it was yeah. one of those like what? Yeah, yeah, I remember that full on, full on married. And then later that year, she does uh, Penny Marshall's last movie, Riding in Cars with Boys, uh, which co-starred. Past guest Steve Zahn. Steve Zahn, um, legend. And uh I what do, what are your thoughts on that movie, Mariah? Um, I love it. I okay, saw that great. one in theaters. Yeah. I think it's another great like film about female friendship that's done in a nuanced way where it, it shows the how can the ups and downs of female friendship and but that that's like a core thing everybody needs. You know, like I, it kind of reminds me, I remember seeing it with my, my best friend, Sadie, and, um, I'm still, she's still my best friend. I've known her since we were like 10 and mm. it's one of those movies that I feel like the old, if I rewatched it now, I would probably cry even more because we were teens when we saw it sure. and now we're in our thirties and we still have that same kind of, that, that we're strengthening each other, you know, yeah. and when I make life decisions, I talk to her when she makes life decisions, she talks to me and I think it, it shows that it was from a, a woman's um, memoir and that women, you know, wrote it and directed it and started it and produced it. And they made sure it's, st- it's stuck to that, mm. that quintessential feeling. Um, and you can feel it no matter what age you are. And I think she, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's been a minute since I've watched it. Cause I watched it 
Um, I watched it a couple of years ago when we had Steve Zahn on, um, but I haven't seen it since. But I remember being struck by like just how much it enabled her to pull so many tools out of her toolkit. You know, and 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 not not like the wedding singer where in a general way you're like, oh, this is why this person's a movie star, because they can just turn it on. It's like, oh, no, this is why, like, we maybe undervalue undervalue her craft. Right. Like she she gets to do so much in that movie. And granted, it does take place over a period of time. So that's the the role is a little bit engineered for her to do that. Um but she really rises to the occasion. I think it's I think it's probably to get also top three Drew Barrymore performances. I love how acidic she gets to be in that movie. I think yes. that's sort of one of its sneaky charms is that she gets to be young, charming Drew Barrymore in like the first part of the movie and then just develop into someone that you're you're not sure how you feel about entirely, um, which I think is and again not to keep going back to it but i it does feel like maybe and this is me this is me projecting or whatever but it does feel like maybe she's using that to exercise a few demons here and there sure. in terms of in terms of uh her childhood so just an interesting thing to to see when when watching that movie big recommend we will probably we haven't really ever fully covered it on this podcast we will probably cover it at some point when we do another bit of our final frame series where we talk about the final films from established directors so if we ever get around to penny marshall we'll we'll definitely give riding in cars with boys sarah it's gilbert also in riding in cars with indeed boys. Yeah. yes um she follows that up she's got a supporting role in confessions of a dangerous mind i like that movie a lot um, great movie yeah Love that movie. Um, and i think she's also very good in that also her and sam rockwell yeah they paired have, up for the second time they're great together yeah it's it's a nice reunion because i do think they you get you get like hints of their chemistry in charlie's angels and i and i think they get to kind of flex that a little bit more in confessions which is nice speaking of which she follows it up with Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, which we mentioned briefly before, doesn't really perform the same way, doesn't really get received the same way. I think, you know, and Mitchell, you had said as much, I think, on Twitter when you were prepping for this, that like the secret thing that nobody remembers is that every Charlie's Angels movie is like kind of a banger. Um, They're fantastic. But, um, Justin, Justin Thoreau and Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, sure. this Irish accent he's doing. How can you not be obsessed with that? Um. And then, but in 2007, we get to the few times delayed uh, Lucky You, which was potentially going to be one of our B-sides. Mariah, you had offered it up. And I do want to yeah. talk about it because I do love Curtis Hansen. The only reason I will say, the only reason I kind of earmarked this movie is because I do think eventually we will do a Bana B-side. And I think this you know is perf perfect for a Bana B-side. I absolutely love him. Also, I have seen far too many of his movies uh that's why i have seen Lucky if you want the slot we I, can pull pencil you in i literally saw this movie because i used to work at warner brothers and mm. it was his birthday and i was in the <laughs> warner brothers shop and you get like 50 percent off if you're an employee sure and so sure. it was already in the like bin of like please take this and so i think i paid a dollar for this movie <laughs> well <laughs> worth so it yeah. well worth it and you know what he gives a great performance in it i agree now here's the thing so i rewatched this movie i had seen this movie when it came out hadn't really seen it since it was worse in my in my memory um 
Great movie. But I I don't know if I would say great, but I would great say certainly, I, I I'm on the great side. You're on the, yes. I, yes. <laughs> I suppose maybe you guys can get me there. We don't we don't you know, we'll take a pit stop by. I don't want to talk too long about it, but I I do love Curtis Hansen taken from us too soon. I think basically you know, what kind of one of those directors that maybe doesn't get the respect he deserved because sure. he was kind of more of a workman is the wrong word because he's a better filmmaker than that. But an eclectic filmmaker. Well, I, I don't think workman is like a, and, a pejorative. Either, no, though. no. But but certainly, not, you know, he's like not necessarily an auteur. Right. And so I think right. we've talked about this on the show a lot, but that that tends to I, I think we just. And by we, I mean just whatever film Twitter culture and stuff. A tourist get put on a pedestal. Yeah, exactly. And I think we yeah. we kind of forget about about some of the others. And I think Hanson is one of them because when you just look at his filmography, it's just you know mostly I'll forgive him chasing Mavericks because it's not really it's like only half his movie and he right. and he was ill, so fine. But um, a movie we actually I think also covered on this podcast for our Gerard Butler episode. But lucky you, basically. Eric Bana is a professional gambler. Let's I more so professional poker player specifically because he's very specific about that in the movie. And Drew Barrymore plays a lounge singer who's like new to is she new to Vegas or just like new to like lounge singing? I think singing? she's new to Vegas, yeah, right? Yeah. She's like yeah, she's with her Vegas. sister, yeah. Deborah Messing. And yeah, yeah, and and Bana knows her sister and basically winds up you know just coming across her on a way to basically try and get money from her sister and they have a meet cute and they strike up a little bit of relationship and it's kind of this on again off again relationship as Barrymore who is this very earnest very nice and not necessarily naive but just very sweet good person is wrestling with with Bonna's you get the idea it's never really tackled head on but almost burgeoning gambling addiction like it's not and i think maybe that's why i would i i think that's why maybe i would kind of take a couple stars off this movie because i think movies about gamblers that try to be sort of sweet feel a little weird to me if that makes sense because like it's so settles on an area of like ah but he's also like maybe almost destroying his life and it's not necessarily acknowledging that part of it. Um, but that said, I think they have very good chemistry, which is not something I remembered from watching it last time around. Yeah. Um, they, they, the reason I kind of wanted to talk about it was mm. they, I think they have great chemistry together Agreed. and her, her sweetness plays off his edginess it's also why I like um, the time traveler's wife because it's a similar vibe between sure. him and Rachel McAdams in that. And and sure. you know I don't think Eric Bana gets partnered with good screen partners that well, or ones that work with his energy that well. And so Agreed. that's why he keeps not being the great actor he should be. And right. This is one of the cases where I think he everyone is giving him what he needs to shine. Like Michael Shannon's good too. Yeah. Um, but Drew Barrymore sure. has this thing she says um she gets on the back of his motorcycle and she goes room room oh <laughs> so the cute and delicate it's, yeah it's and every i just love it so much coming I from literally it. i i'm so glad you said that because i was i literally finished it just sort of not too long before we started recording and i had totally forgotten about that little moment and coming from 
any other actor, right. I would have been like, yeah, I don't know. Fuck this movie. Like a little, <laughs> but she just, and that's, and that's her power, right? Like she sells yeah. things like that in a way where, like I said, she's good natured in this movie, but not to the point of like unbelievability. You just believe that this person exists like, and she just seems yeah. nice and not in a way that even gets spun into like dream girl territory or any of that. She just, it's a really, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's fuck. Maybe this movie is really good. God, I, listen, I, I, I hate y'all. I did okay. I, I was <laughs> I was so ready to be like, yeah, I don't know about Lucky You, but now I'm like. Eh. It also has an, another like nothing but banger soundtrack. Sure, great soundtrack. Liza Minnelli, yeah, Chris Christopherson, yeah. Bob Dylan, all on the same soundtrack. Yeah, what are, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's and this <laughs> so this movie was sort of like I mentioned, sort of kind of famously delayed. I think it was shot in like 04 i think was supposed to come out in 05 and then 06 and then ultimately landed in may of 07 but but was delayed i mean in a in a true like top gun maverick-esque way was publicized in a way where like the posters had the wrong dates on them and that kind of thing because it got it got delayed so many times um but yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I'm, Mariah, I'm going to, I'm penciling you in for a Bana episode <laughs> in the future. I've been telling you guys about, you need to do Bana for like a while. Is it, now. do we it's, say, is it, I say Bana. I say Bana. Is it, you can, I, or is you it can a say whatever, potato, whatever potato. you like to say. Wikipedia, it looks like it should be Bana. Oh. Bana. Because oh. it's that A-E. Yeah. Oh, sure. So it should be Bana. I, yeah. His real name I, is Bandinovich though, so. That if we want to be, if we want to really be correct, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, he's. I think he's one of our best actors, and Hollywood obviously did him dirty. I the dry. I was going to say, Mitchell, Connor, do you, like, you want to take the obligatory dry shout out, or should I? We I will love shout that out movie. the dry every yeah. chance we get. It is a fantastic movie. They're making a sequel. They're making is, another one, as they should. Well, yeah, should. it's excited. like one of, if not the most successful movie in like Australia, like just like Australia yeah. grosses like ever. So I think it had like the highest opening weekend in Australia theaters, and like it's, I mean, it's a fantastic movie. As is Lucky You, and I agree with everything that Mariah especially <laughs> was saying about Lucky well, You. Well, I'll see myself out. Okay, <laughs> fine. You guys can have Curtis Hansen's maybe debatable great movie, Lucky You. Fantastic movie. <laughs> um, so, at, so that's lucky you. Worth mentioning. <laughs> certainly, certainly worth mentioning. Can I quickly um, before we move off 07, I just want to get Mariah's read on music and lyrics because oh, sure, that is another Barrymore sure. movie that I so, genuinely like really love music yeah. and I'm lyrics. I'm truly, truly ashamed to admit that I still haven't seen it. You gotta um, see it. It came out. I think it was my senior year of college and I was taking too many classes. I did not see a lot of movies in the end of 2007. Like I barely made it to see like atonement. It was, <laughs> it was a rough, rough year. And then I just never T- caught that's up a tough That's a tough year to not be seeing a lot of movies. Yeah, seven. I, I got to, I saw the Oscar films in 2007 and that's about it. Um, and somehow I just haven't come back to this one. I don't know. And I love Hugh Grant, too. So Yeah, I think that you are going to be obsessed with music and lyrics because the two of them are phenomenal in it. It's very much about like a love of music, too, which obviously you are huge on music and like so many different ways. And like it's it's like 80s, like pop band music. That's just like really fun. But then like the two of them making music together, that's like a lot more like sweet and charming. And it's just it's a winner of a movie. The two of them have such amazing chemistry together. It's one of those movies I feel like I haven't caught up with because the minute I do post that I've that it's new to me, 
everyone's going to give me shit. Sure. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, where have you been for the last 15 years? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Leave me alone. Stop judging me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry. We just outed you on a podcast. Cause now <laughs> you can't keep a secret. I'll, I'll um, take it. <laughs> Connor, music and lyrics thoughts. Uh, I have also never seen it. Actually. Killing me. Yeah, Everybody sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I had more to throw, throw your way, but, um, <laughs> But I have not. I think I'm. I would be shocked if if Dan Mecca has not seen it. It must have. Dan must have seen it. I think it may have even come up on our Hugh Grant uh, episode many many moons ago. Um. So out of she gets into own nine, which is also we're getting to whip it territory where she makes her directorial debut that same year. She does a movie we covered in our Kate Beckinsale episode. Everybody's fine. Nice little picture. Also with Sam Rockwell, but they do they have they don't have if, scenes together. In, I don't right? believe they might have like one or two. Um, she basically plays siblings alongside Rockwell and Beck and Sale. Um, she might. I I think she, if I recall, I think she's a little at sea in that movie. She I think is kind of the one that doesn't with like just within the matching up with yeah. Rockwell and Beckinsale. I think she has like the smallest part out of the yeah, three of she them too. She's yeah. not in it like a ton. Right. Respectfully. Yeah. She's, it's not like she's given like a huge ton to do, but, um, but she definitely, I'll say leaves sort of the least impression uh, of the, those sort of four main performances. Beckinsale. Great. In the movie. I'll say that. Um, then, so yeah, like I mentioned, in 2009, she kind of has a small role, but directs Whip It, uh, which is about roller derby in Austin. It stars Elliot Page. And um, who is the, I can't, uh, uh, Aaliyah Shawkat, right? Aaliyah Shawkat, is, is her yeah. friend. And uh, Juliet Lewis, you've got kind of a murderer's row of like really good supporting performances. You've got, yeah, Marsha Gay Harden plays their mother and Daniel Stern plays their dad. Um, and it's kind of a and again, I don't mean this in a bad way because it it's a sort of a by the numbers movie to a degree. But I do think when I was I, I remember I saw it. Uh, in a small theater in Buffalo, New York when it came out and I hadn't seen it since. And I put it on last night and I was really kind of, I remember liking it fine. I think when I first saw it, but I really was taken with it when I was watching it last night. Cause I just, I was watching it. I think, I think back then I was watching it more from like an Elliot page movie that happened to be directed by Drew Barrymore and co-star right, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Whereas like this time, obviously because of, the podcast, I was thinking of it more of like, oh, she's like directing this. Right. And like, what is she doing as a as a director here? And like it does put it in my brain that it's insane. She hasn't directed another movie. It's it's so um, confidently directed. It's and, and granted, I think when I mentioned the by the numbers nature to the story, which is basically just about a, you know, a, a teenage girl whose mother in Texas, uh, she lives south of Austin and her mother is putting her in you know all of these pageants and stuff like that and she basically discovers austin roller derby and really takes a shine to it and it becomes this kind of double life that she's sort of leading and and she sort of finds kind of the family that she wants in the girls on her roller derby team um and that's essentially the movie but i think 
it really provides such a fertile groundwork for Barry Moore to like confidently direct the shit out of this movie. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, it's, it's a really nice kind of just solid showcase in that regard. And it, it, it sort of infuriates me that other than a music video, she hasn't really seemingly dabbled in it otherwise but um and you mariah i, I want to bring it up just because this was alongside lucky you the other one you had brought up as a possible b-side and i do think it is a worthy b-side because it's the only movie she's directed um yeah it's it's beautifully directed and then if you look at it from just her directing herself sure she she lets herself be goofy in ways that <sighs> she hasn't been in a while like i think yeah. um I think almost ever, right? Because yeah, it's a, it's a it's specific some, kind of funny that she's, she's very like boisterous. She's it's like very, a doofus, yeah. right? Like she's yeah, like she's the a doofus is the perfect word. Yeah, for she's, and, and she's never. I don't. I mean, we just basically went through a filmography. Like she's definitely been even in Boys on the Side. Like we mentioned, like naive and young, and you know, quote young and dumb, if you want to call it that. But like. It never in a way where she's straight up been the deliberate brunt of jokes, you know, right. and, and things like that. And she's so, getting like hit in the face and, and like just like that bleeding, bit where like, she yeah. gets in in the, in the <laughs> like near the beginning where she gets like slammed in the nose and just the hard cut to she's like, is it bad? And it's just <laughs> yeah. the most blood you've ever seen coming out of someone's nose. Um, she, yeah, she sells all that. Re, has a lot of great pratfalls and stuff like that. And and yeah, I think sells it all really well. But sorry to cut you off. Continue, Brad. Oh no, I, I I don't think I didn't feel it cut off at all. Um, I I just think that it's it really shows the way that she directs the cast as well shows that ir- irrepressible energy that she has, and she brings she lets the cast bring that out as well, and um. To, to I think you brought up Juliette Lewis earlier. Yeah. Juliette Lewis like gets to do all the things that she does best um, mm-hmm. turned way up. And, you know, if anyone, you know, has come back to Juliette Lewis because of Yellow Jackets, like this is a great one to revisit because it's that same 100%. energy that, that she brings to Yellow Jackets. Um, and again, it's another one about the power of, of friendships of, of women and women supporting mm-hmm. each other and and people supporting each other and sort of finding strength to try new things because people support you, um, which I think is a clear um, importance to Barrymore as a, as a person. It's got that it's got that mother daughter relationship rearing its head a little bit. Um, yeah, Marsha Gay Harden's so good in this movie. Like, yeah, just uh, really, you know, as she would say, what a thrill uh, to to watch her. Um, and yeah, I mean, Mariah, you mentioned Yellow Jackets. Given the Ever After connection, I felt it was. I was like, why is Melanie Linsky not in this movie? Like, it feels like she should be uh, yeah. one of like the. Uh, feels like she should be one of the roller derby girls. But um, oh my gosh, she'd been so good. I though. suppose she was busy on like Away We Go or something. Um, Great performance. Very good. Very excellent. Yes, excellent. That's one of her best performances. Excellent performance. Yeah. Um, that maybe the saddest pole dance that's ever been put in a movie in a yes. way, in a way we yeah know. um it's a tough watch yeah but um, great yeah she her and missy and i are both so good in a way we go 
but yeah whip it uh also just quality motion picture and uh yeah i had a similar thing with whip it where like i saw it um i don't think i saw it in theaters but i saw it like immediately when it came out on dvd Mm -hmm. because i like just really wanted to see it and same as you connor i like saw it as like an elliot page thing it's like two years after juno so i was like right like mega elliot page crush at the time and was like yes everything um and like i Sam and I actually rewatched it like a year ago just because we were like, I don't know, let's just watch Whip It. Like, you know, it mm-hmm. seems like it'll be like a fun watch. And I think we both were surprised by like it was so much more just like comforting and like enjoyable than we remembered it even being. And like almost every week since we watched it last year, Sam is like, I want to watch something like Whip It. And I want to watch something that gives me the same feeling mm-hmm. that Whip It gave us. And I'm like, let's just watch Whip It. And they're like, no, we have to wait. We don't want to like overdo it. Sure. And like, you know, sure. but yeah, it's such a charming movie. So if you haven't seen Whip It or if you haven't seen Whip It in a while, I highly recommend, yeah, revisiting it. And it, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, for obvious reasons, you mentioned Juno. I, I think at the time, I re- like I said, I remember liking this movie fine, but I think part of the expectation with a lot of these movies is in addition to their sneaky soundtrack thing, which, like we mentioned, this movie employs for sure. Um, yeah, they had a tendency to just whatever, be kind of twee and, right, and yeah, yeah, too yeah. cute by half and that kind of stuff. And you almost expect this movie to fall into that trap a little, and it like never does. Not it that plays it, it so much more straight. Yeah, and not that it doesn't have its handful of like little cliches here and there, but generally speaking, it avoid it like avoids all the landmines in that regard. It's a really just yeah. I don't know. I was just uh, very very charmed by it. Um, a w- a winning motion picture, I would say, is the way I w- I would describe it. Um, so she follows it up with going the distance um, with Justin Long, who I believe she dated at the time um, or had previously dated. And then they, they made, like dated and then broke up and then made this movie. started dating again. <laughs> they started dating again, I think, when they right. did going the distance and then like broke up again, like right after it. Um, and I'm kind of a good movie, though. And I'm sorry to keep comparing her to like the people she dated at the time or whatever. It's just how I remember these things being covered um, when they came right. out. But she follows that up with Big Miracle, like we mentioned, and uh, Blended. Never mind. Moving on. And then (laughs) we get to uh, our next movie, uh, 2015's Miss You Already, which is uh, based on a it's I saw a radio show, but like I'm assuming a podcast technically. Right. It must have been what it sort of loosely came from. Am I I speaking out of turn with that? It was like a performance piece. Okay. Um, But the performance piece was called Goodbye by uh, Monwina Banks. Monwena? Monwena? Who's the mom on Peppa Pig, which is wild. Yeah, I was looking her up to see what else (laughs) she had like written when um, just looking into this. And like she her predominantly she's like a voice actress on like tons of TV series. Which is cool. Well, so it, so it, yeah, it, I, and I believe for this she's credited as Mom on Pe- Peppa Pig. So that's that's <laughs> weird. Um, Written by Mom on Peppa Pig, <laughs> but it's uh, it's another female director. It's directed by Catherine Hardwick, um, and it basically focuses on Millie and Jess, who are Tony Collette and Drew Barrymore, respectively, and they're old friends right who've done everything together experienced all their firsts together that kind of long long uh friendship and 
as we catch up with them as adults, uh, Millie has sort of she's a kind of a career woman who has a family with Dominic Cooper. She's sort of like the quote unquote crazy friend, right? Like she's like the edgy sort of party friend. And Jess, uh, Drew Barrymore is, do, do they ever say what Drew Barrymore does for a living in this movie? I know movie? she works in an office, but yeah, no, I'm, they, I'm not sure they it's, get It's not quite clear. as like fleshed out. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, like uh, Tony Collette is in some sort of PR, but basically it says that she's an environmentalist on Wikipedia. Oh, right, 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 right. And her husband works on an oil rig. That is fascinating. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's an interesting dichotomy. Um, but basically um, they're both married and Tony Collette has kids. Drew Barrymore does not. That's sort of part of Drew Barrymore's whole thing. in the first part of this movie is that she and Patty Considine are trying to conceive a child. Meanwhile, Millie gets diagnosed with late stage breast cancer. And that's essentially the setup for the evolution of the whole movie is sort of Millie dealing with cancer while Jess is dealing with trying to have a baby and how those two things kind of dovetail together and how it affects them and their husbands who are like i said dominic cooper is uh is tony collette's husband and patty considine is drew barrymore's husband and their children and that's kind of the basic gist of the movie i don't want to get too far into it because i don't want to necessarily spoil anything um mariah you also recommended this one uh, had you seen this as well or no? Yeah, this was one. Um, in, so in 2015, that was the year I, I only watched films directed by women for like the mm. entire year. Um, and this was one of the theatrically released films directed by women that year. And so I saw it the night it opened, like in oh, okay. bank, I think. And um, it got a limited release. It was a Toronto movie, I believe. And yeah, then, it was yeah. a, a gala release. presentation at Toronto and then didn't have a large for you know, it's like Catherine Hardwick directed Twilight, which is right. this phenomenal, like money maker. And right. then, you know, she makes this like great adult grown up film and can't get barely any release on it. And it's like, oh, it's a box office failure. It's like, no, it isn't. If you can't, put it, <laughs> you don't put it in the movie theaters, it can't make money. Right. But yeah. um, that's another thing altogether. I I think I ended up having this on my end of the year like top 10 list um because i i love both of them in it so much i think tony collette obviously it's hard to see her give a bad performance i don't sure. know that it's possible um and then drew barrymore again it's another case of that softness that that she brings um that can she can bring to uh, a role really meshes well with with tony collette's like hard strong prickly woman that she is and they they feel like real friends and they sure. feel like they would balance each other out um and uh i just i don't know i think it's sweet and i i like that the the husbands are they, they're also allowed to sort of uh mature a bit mm -hmm. as people it doesn't it could easily have had them be cliched you know deadbeat husbands or whatever and instead they Everyone mature, gets to mature kind of yep. in this movie it's, the way that real people do. That was yeah. one of the things that struck me. I mean, well, the first thing that struck me was was what you mentioned about just the two of them and their respective roles. Because I do think 
I don't necessarily I agree with you on Tony Collette. I basically always like her. I do think sometimes she is called upon to just give, you know, to go to 11. Right. And I think that doesn't always necessarily fit the material. It's not necessarily that she goes overboard. I think just sometimes she finds herself in some movies where she's being asked to do her Tony Collette thing. And it's sort of like maybe doesn't gel. But I think in this it's a it's perfectly calibrated um, because it doesn't it doesn't feel like a performance. It doesn't feel put on. She feels like the kind of person I mentioned, the part, you know, the party girl who had to grow up kind of thing um, t- type type energy and Barrymore. Yeah, like she's not swallowed up by that energy, which I think is really important because I feel like a lesser pairing or a less sort of or a less balanced. Pairing. Yeah, exactly. Like I, yeah, exactly. Point, yeah. Barry. At one ahead, point, Mark. Rachel Vice and Tony Collette were supposed to be opposite each other. Yeah. yeah. And like that's two prickly women kind of together. <laughs> I love Rachel Vice, but like I don't know that she has the same softness and i think you need that balance yeah i agree and like before that apparently it was supposed to be anison and colette which uh, anison in the same similar kind of register i think as barrymore but i don't know if she would have been able to bring as much of like the grounding quality that barrymore does and yeah it's it's really interesting how like colette was you know attached the whole way and then barrymore kind of ended up falling into the role but she really feels like the only choice for it when you're watching the film it feels like she just gets it right like it feels yeah, like exactly. it feels like she she slips so well into it and again i mean obviously it keeps coming up there's this theme of female friendships female directors so maybe there's already something there for her to latch on to that she already feels innately interested in i mean i think you could double bill this with boys on the side and it would be this perfect kind of pairing they're very similar movies in that they get sentimental without ever overdoing it and it's and it sneaks up on you a little bit it certainly did me as i was why i watched it yesterday and it certainly did me because i just was you know as soon as the cancer thing kicks in you're like you're like i know what this movie is and maybe you do a little like from a narrative standpoint or whatever that part of it's not necessarily surprising but what is surprising and to your point mariah about also the way they treat the husband characters is how sort of nuanced and very deftly handled all the characters are both in like on the page and in execution because there's very easily a world, like you said, like where Dominic Cooper could just be the shit and Patty Considine is just the nice husband, right? Or something like that, right? Like, or or whatever. And it's a lot like the James Remar performance in <laughs> Boys on the Side where they're like allowed to be these complicated supporting performances where they can be assholes and in such a, in such a finely tuned way where you're like, I do understand like Patty Constantine in particular, like it's he sells his role and his conflict. His whole deal is kind of he just wants to have this baby with his wife and he kind of keeps getting super frustrated, sometimes unreasonably, but super frustrated with the fact that uh, Tony Collette's situation is kind of monopolizing Drew Barrymore's attention and energy. Right. And yeah. I'll- yeah. And what's kind of great about the way that they allow it is that he they never actually fight about it right 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 right. she she's like she takes a beat and realizes you're actually you're right yeah and i am letting this friendship monopolize 
my life and I have to find a balance between my love for my friend and my love for you. And and the movie allows for that nuance in yeah. a really grown up way. Yeah. In a way where you can't help but like watch it and be like, oh, isn't that a relationship we all aspire to? Like where you're just kind of like a hundred percent where yeah. he there's a moment in the movie, I think it's basically the scene where they have what comes the closest to this argument that we're talking about. They live on kind of a, on a on a houseboat and he kind of basically confronts Drew Barrymore about that because she's about to pack a bag to leave to like go stay with Tony Collette because she's really overwhelmed. And Dominic Cooper kind of hasn't yet really come into the role of like being able to support the 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 roles of a parent that she would fill if she wasn't dying from cancer. Right. And Patty Constantine gets super frustrated and he sort of storms out in a huff. And there is this moment where you're like, eh, yeah, it's kind of shitty dude. Cause like her, obviously her lifelong, like her best friend is dying, but also you're like, I get it. And then immediately after he like pokes his head down the porthole and she looks out the window and they're like making faces at each other. And it's this moment of like, you're like, oh, no, but they get it like they like they're fine. And it it is it was so nice to watch. Like, it's just so nice to be like, OK, because there's so much drama elsewhere baked into the narrative of the movie that yeah. it never gets into the melodrama of these two uh, these two women's particular marriages or relationships. And it's not it, it. I feel like a lesser movie would get distracted with that stuff. Yeah, I think it totally rides that line of finding like all of the complexities of like life in general, but specifically of a situation like this where it is like, yeah, when, you know, somebody that you love has a serious, serious, serious illness, like their life completely stops. And there is this expectation from them but also from yourself sometimes that like you're like at all of the lives around them should also stop and that can be valid but it can also be very frustrating right. and like i think that the movie isn't afraid of tackling the the hard truths of that of like yes your life it stops like reasonably to a degree but then also you do have to keep trying to live your life and that person who's experiencing illness can get mad as hell at you about that because you can't be there for them 100% at all times and you can get mad at them for being mad at you about that. Yeah, and I like the I like when she they have their big fight and she's like you're being a cancer bully. Yeah, oh, I wrote I wrote that line I wrote that line in my good. notes. I, I wrote cancer bully in quotes it's in my notes. It's a perfect term because it's it's um yeah, I don't know, it's just this thing of and it speaks to kind of the room that Tony Collette is given to like in her performance and what she's able to achieve with it. But she's allowed to be this like sympathetic victim and a total piece of shit yeah. at the same yeah. time because you it's so yeah, anyway. I love that the the um this is a slight spoiler. Sorry, everybody stop listening. It's a can it's a cancer movie. But Go I love that when she let's say strays a bit Oh sure, that yeah, the, okay. the casting there is the is the guy from, from All um, American, All American Jack. Jack. which is one of my like like biggest problematic faves. I love sure, she, she kept him her dirty little secret. She did. <laughs> it's perfect, and I'm glad you made that pun. Um, Thank you. It's perfect, and I'm like that is the exact kind of like dirty boy that you need in a situation like that yeah <laughs> yeah and it, what i what i love about the um it's funny that you say that because i had to look that up 
but I re- but it was such a thing where like when I saw his face, I was like, oh, I know this fucker from somewhere. Like I was like, I was like, I, I, I was like, who is he? Theaters and being like, they did not just cast the guy from all yeah. the rejects. And then I looked it up when it was over, and I'm like, oh my god, they did. So I will wow. say this: I they came to my college, and I was working their concert. Um, I was like a, a stagehand or whatever. And I don't, I won't say it's him because I don't know for sure, but someone in the band is like a red M&Ms only on the rider type (laughs) type person. Um, What I, what I was going to say, what I love about his, whatever rock star persona casting is the Dominic Cooper character in the movie is sort of like a burgeoning rock, like grungy rock star kind of turned businessman essentially um as he and and tony collette get together and and eventually so it makes sense that she would go for it's it's it's, it's the the man that she's you know the the young version she's like trying to retreat to her former self exactly it's 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 great casting too because tyson ritter and dominic cooper are cut from the same cloth in terms of their looks mm -hmm. and um, right Aren't they it's, also on Preacher together? Am I making that up? Yeah, mm-hmm. the show yeah, Preacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he played uh, like Jesus Christ in Preacher, and then Dominic Cooper obviously is the lead in. Preacher. Of course, he he does kind of have like a hot Jesus vibe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I can I can see that. Um, I'm really glad you recommended it, Mariah, because I just it's probably something I wouldn't have sought out uh, if I'm being honest, but but I really was was quite taken with it. It's definitely a movie that I had hard time selling to people when sure, it came sure, out yeah. mm-hmm. because to the exact same um reaction you had where you thought you knew what the movie was and you know because there's lots of cookie cutter best friends with cancer movies out there um and i, I was always just like come on like trust trust tony colette trust drew barrymore <laughs> um so hopefully this will get more people to watch it because it, it's you know, I rewatched it and I, it, it was just as good as I remembered it. Yeah, I, I was really similar where like, especially it being it on how kind of it was marketed, how it like ended up coming out, how it did. It felt like one of those, like every year you get those movies at TIFF that like come out and they like have like a couple stars in them. They have like a little bit of Oscar buzz. They play at TIFF and then like you never hear about them again and you just kind of like don't ever see them. And it just felt like one of those like TIFF movies. Um, And so I, yeah, I like Connor, like I never would have seen it if we hadn't done this. And yeah, I found it very rewarding. I, of course, cried a bunch of times, but not in a way where like it ever kind of speaking to the boys on the side thing, like a Connor, you know, um, said earlier, there are a few different things that we were talking about when we were talking about boys on the side that I felt the same way about with Miss You Already, one of them being this so easily could have been such like a saccharine thing. Like it could have been so emotionally manipulative, like so over the top because it's such an inherently emotional story, but credit to both of the women's performances. And I think especially Hardwick's direction that it's like really measured in a way that it never feels like it is going so far over the line where it just feels like, like cloying in that kind of way where you're like, all right, like we get it. Like it feels like it's keeping everything within the realm of reality. And I think those things of like finding humor in it too, at all times is is a really important thing too. There's go ahead. No, no, no. I I was just going to say, I've, you know, knock wood. I have never had to personally deal 
with someone dealing with a terminal cancer, but one of my older sisters does have MS. And I remember right. when I was in high school and she was diagnosed, it was a very similar experience in terms of like, that is what occupied our lives for a time in terms of the way we moved everything around and whatnot. And, but specifically in the humor, I remember be, that was kind of what grabbed me the most in a lot of Drew Barrymore's and Tony Collette's exchanges is just that like almost unspoken need to immediately start joking about the things you're normally told not to yeah. joke about because it's literally one of the only ways to kind of make it all at least a little bit easier. Um, and it's an exercise that like if you are in the Drew seat, right, like you 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 learn to get very good at if you're in yeah, that kind of exactly, situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I, you know, I've talked about it before. Like I have a chronic illness, obviously like not a terminal thing or anything, nothing comparable to this, but like a chronic illness that really limits like my life. And there was a period of time for like three years where they couldn't figure out what it was. So I was like completely debilitated. I couldn't get out of bed for like three years. And like there are so many reasons why I could have just been completely miserable. And you know, so many days where I was and I was living with my mom at the time. And like so she had to deal with the burden of me being completely miserable. Her having no idea what to do mm -hmm. or anything like feeling like she can't help it anyway but there are still like everyday moments where we would like find ways to like laugh about it right yeah. and like you you have to do that in order to keep surviving and mm -hmm. i think the film really captures that especially with the two women where like that is something that you can only have too with somebody who like you've been friends with that long like you mm -hmm. mentioned the the Whoopi and drew thing on boys on the side and how they first meet and you feel that familiarity with them i think one of the biggest strengths of miss you already is the fact that these two women feel like they have been lifelong friends you have that like little kind of a little cheesy montage at the beginning of them like growing up together and like being friends and then but like that doesn't work if the moment that we see them in their adult lives, they don't feel like, you know, those two girls who had grown into women together. And I think you absolutely feel that with them through like all of this. A hundred percent. I can't say it better. No, that's, that's a hundred percent. Um, any, any final thoughts, uh, Mariah on Miss You Already before yeah, we wrap up? I guess last, last shout out to Jacqueline Bissett. Um, oh, and, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. She's been in movies for 60 years. When I couldn't when I couldn't get the name of Mary Louise Parker's mom, this is the name I kept wanting to say because it was the other great the mom, other mom, mom performance. She she also gets to be imperfect and grow and in understand like that doing things the wrong way is okay if you're if your heart's in the right place, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Mm -hmm. and to to just feel it through and i i just i love the moment at the end where um i don't want to spoil too much but the husband you know is not wanting her to do something and goes off to do you know i don't know to talk to a doctor or something right. and the mom is like you know what this is my one chance to like help you do something <laughs> just for you i'm doing it and it's such a sweet little moment yeah. and feels really real because you you feel the grief that she's going through she knows her daughter's gonna you know, pass before she does. And that, no, even a terrible mother doesn't want that. Right. You know? Yeah. Like it's, it, it's a funny bit of casting too. Cause we, so a while back we did an episode on Kira Knightley and we covered Tony Scott's domino. Domino. And, 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 <laughs> That's and a movie. it is a movie. And yeah. Bissette plays Domino Harvey's mother in that movie. And in this, 
she is kind of this like she is this you know age in in me uh, miss you already she's this aging actress who's kind of had that right. career in the back so i just couldn't help like i was like oh it's like an interesting little not that it's done deliberately or whatever but just a funny little she's like good at playing just cold actress moms i guess or yeah something like. she, i mean she's uh, she knows what it is to be an actress for well, sure for sure yeah yeah <laughs> Um, what do we kind of want to see from, from Drew next? I know I kind of alluded to it. I mean, we get to, um, you know, this is 2015 and then she takes a bit of a hiatus really until 2020 when she does a film called the stand in, which I have not seen. Mariah, have you seen that? Yeah, it's so no. And I really wanted to, cause it's Janie Babbitt mm. who is a fun director. Um, but it kind of got buried at the. You know, like I think Netflix had the world rights, but not oh, the US rights. And Got then it. I don't yeah. even know. Are you telling me US Netflix rights. buried something? No, <laughs> yeah. no well, way. I don't know. They might not have buried it worldwide, but it didn't end up on Netflix in the US. And so I don't even know. Like maybe it's it didn't end up on VOD. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Um, de- she has a cute cameo as herself in A Castle for Christmas, though, right. which is Mary Lambert, director of. Uh, Pet Cemetery oh, doing right. a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. sweet. Um, if you like Christmas movies, you will like A Castle of Christmas. And Drew Barrymore plays herself, but like kind of a is it a Hallmark? A high, no, it's a Netflix. Okay. Um, Netflix trying to do Hallmark basically. Right, but right, right. Ma- <laughs> right. I actually uh, not to plug my own work. I interviewed Mary Lambert uh, about this, and because I was like, I need to know why she's making a Christmas movie. <laughs> Mary Lambert loves Christmas. She has like this. She told me this whole story about her grandma's like christmas traditions and i was like ah i want mary lambert <laughs> to make like 10 more christmas movies now but uh, the drew barrymore cameo in it is really sweet it's her as herself but kind of like a heightened version of her talk show persona so mm. if you're familiar with her talk show which is a gem um it's yeah it's a riff on this version of herself and it's it's lovely but her talk show is like half a bit right like I, I, it must be. I'm not. Yeah. I really don't know. It because it, it's, it's one of those things where I, um, yeah, I don't know. Whenever I see it, I feel like this feels like her doing what people jokingly think she's like. But then there's a part of me where I'm like, maybe she is just that open and upfront and authentic. That like maybe this is just like I, I feel like I go back and forth every time it's, I see. It's, it's fascinating yeah. to watch. Yeah, it's like a social it, experiment almost or something. Yeah. Um, also, shout out. I only watched a few episodes, um, but I did because I hadn't watched it before prep for this. But shout out to the Santa Clarita Diet. I was going to um, mention that. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a really good it's a really fun show. It's a really good use of her. Like she's doing something really. They unique have great chemistry, I think. Her, she yeah, her and Timothy Oliphant yeah. are so good. In yeah. it. And it's yeah, it's a shame that that got canceled um, when it, it did. It but. looks like the stand in did finally make it to us netflix last year so there we go so you can, you can watch, watch it there yeah. we, you can all catch it now yeah, yeah indeed um but yeah like i said i mean in terms of what i'd like to see her do i think i think it's i mean she seems to have taken a hiatus from acting to like be a, a present you know parent um which obviously nobody can knock that but I I am so I imagine directing would monopolize that time too. You know, like I don't really think it would be like less work for her. Probably would be more work, honestly. Um, but I would love her to just start directing more stuff. I I think um, 
she certainly has, I think maybe, maybe it's just a product of growing up in Hollywood and watching the right people do it or whatever. But I feel like she does seemingly just have an innate, really solid ability to do it. Um, which, uh, which again is frustrating to think that whip it came out over 10 years ago and she hasn't followed it up with anything. Yeah, I agree. I, I would love to see her make another film as a director, whether she stars in it or not, you know, that, that's up to her, but I think she has a beautiful visual eye and she's a great, uh, actors director coming from acting. Um, she's very intuitive and, and I think, you know, whip it is just, you watch it, you expect, I don't know what I expected. And then it's not what I expected at all. It's so well formulated that I, I think she could probably do any kind of movie she wants to do if she felt the urge to direct a movie again. So I would like to see that. Agreed. I mean, doesn't it feel like the kind of movie, like if, if, somebody can fucking make you know safety not guaranteed and then get a jurassic park or something like <laughs> right, did, yeah. not that i'm saying i want that for drew like i'd like her to make like real movies but like <laughs> but but doesn't whip it seem like the kind of movie that someone would be like oh like if any other person directed it they'd be like let's get the person who directed whip it to do yeah. like a thing or whatever or, or at the very least have like a very successful career in television or something like it's yeah. that it's surprising to me that she hasn't really D done any of that but what about what about yeah. you mitchell no i yeah i mean i think it's the d directing something else is like the i think the main thing that i would love to see her uh try and tackle again you know if if she wants to and like it's i think one of the things that was like a recurring theme for me when watching the films that we're doing for this and then like other films that i was watching of hers just like while i was like prepping for this is that like she more than I think just about anybody that I've ever seen, she has this like innate ability to have chemistry with absolutely anybody. Sure. Like, I mean, it speaks to, or at least, you be, or at least be on the positive side of that chemistry. Like she right, might sure. be, <laughs> yeah, she feels very yeah. giving in that, in that regard. Yeah, 100%. yeah, exactly. Like speaking yeah. to like the, the Sandler of it all, the fact that the two of them like figured it out in a way that I don't think anybody else quite has with him, but then also with, you know, not just romantic chemistry with friendship chemistry with Colette and with, you know, the women and boys on the side, like she just has this like openness to her and this welcoming quality to her that I think brings out good things in everybody. So it just makes so much sense that she would be, as Mariah said, like a great actor's director and something like with it. And I think like, like you said, Connor, I think that she would probably be good at directing pretty much anything. I mean, she has the experience for sure. And then also, I think just this gift with people that would really make her perfect for, yeah, continuing a directing career, which would be really exciting to see. I also yeah. had one final rarity I would like to shout yeah, out. Yeah, please, That's please. Voice. Any... We were talking about voiceovers. I should yeah, have brought, yeah. it, uh, brought it up then. Um, she made this film, I think, in the late 90s or early 2000s called All of the Other Reindeer. Right. And okay. it's a beautiful children's book too. If you if you like children, I like to read children's books to relax. It's a beautiful children's book, but the the her voice work in it is so sweet. Isn't that her daughter's name? She too? got like an Emmy nomination I for think, it. I think. Right? Yeah, it got a couple of Emmy nominations. I don't know if her daughter is named after Olive. That is her daughter's name. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I would like to think maybe because she is so sweet, <laughs> and Olive sure. the dog is so sweet, and it's just it's a sweet it's a sweet movie. Um, so if you want to like. And your Drew Barrymore, you know, retrospective of a sweet movie, I recommend that one. And a good Christmas movie. Everyone can watch it. Find something good in it. Where? How do we rank our four B-sides? What, right. what do you all think? I have my own opinion, but I want to hear from, from you two first. 
Wow. Like, let's go best to best to worst of the four. Like, in terms of Drew Barrymore-ness or in terms oh, of how, overall however, quality? However you want to qualify it is fine. Hmm. I would say probably the performance that knocked me out the most is Poison Ivy. Sure. Like, followed by, like, based on Drew Barrymore presence, uh, Poison Ivy, and then Miss You Already. And then Gun Crazy and then Boys on the Side. Even though I love her and Boys on the Side, I feel like in terms of her impact, that's how I would rank it. Yeah, I think that's fair. What about you, Mitchell? I, I would, in per- performance-wise, I would go the exact same way as Mariah. I think film-wise, um, just overall film, I would probably go Gun Crazy, Boys on the Side, Miss You Already, and then Poison Ivy. But like like you, Connor, I think from I was top, a little bit less- top to bottom, you mean? From top to bottom, yeah. So ba- Gun Crazy, I think, was my favorite movie yeah. of the four. But like you, like I I wasn't as hot on Poison Ivy, so that was kind of like a lower tier. But the sure. other three, all three and a half stars for me on Letterboxd. So like, I, you know, strong recommend for the other three for me. And Poison Ivy completely, again, I, my favorite performance of hers out of the four. So I didn't like the film as much, but would strongly recommend people check it out for her performance at the very least. I Call me like whatever, a sentimental little baby or something. But I feel like, <laughs> I feel like movie-wise... I got to go boys on the side, miss you already, poison sure. ivy, and then gun crazy. Cause I just, mm. sure. I, sure. The, the, those top two movies for me, they really both, again, I mean, I can't overstate it, but, or maybe I can, you listener, you, <laughs> you decide, but I just, uh, I really wasn't expecting to like go all in on them. And by the end, I was like, fuck, you got me. Um, so I got to just speak my truth, as they say. But um, that's it. That's Drew Barrymore. Uh, Mariah, thank you so much. Um, let let everybody out there know, what, what are you doing? Where can they find you? Uh, oh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I really uh, appreciated being able to talk about Drew Barrymore. She's just been sort of like a favorite for so long. Um, where people can find me, I am on Twitter way too much at Old Film Slicker. Um, I have a link tree where I put all of my uh, writing, which is link tree, old film slicker, pretty much old film slicker everywhere that can be username. If it exists, it's it's me or I have to like put a hit out on the person who got my name before <laughs> me. Um, but I mostly write for uh, Roger Ebert, the playlist and Crooked Marquee with a few other outlets here and there. And I have um, a monthly column with Roger Ebert where I interview a female director every month. Um, so I have a pretty good one coming up in July, but the previous ones were Mira Nair and Andrea Arnold and oh, um, the co-directors of Neptune Frost. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely link to that. Um, Mariah's got a Mariah's got a great Substack too going on with like, oh, putting out week, weekly, like regular, regular stuff. There's a lot of <laughs> Substacks that I subscribe to and like people don't put like anything out, which is, you know, fine. I don't have any expectations for people, but yeah, Mariah, you are getting your money's worth. If you subscribe to Mariah's Substack, putting yeah. out weekly stuff. It's a, I, I thank you for bringing that up. I would have totally forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I, every Friday, um, at minimum, what you'll get is every Friday, a selection of r- roughly six, sometimes more, sometimes less, but I try to keep it to six films directed by women that are either um, out in theaters, new on VOD, or some deep cuts on not, not just the big streaming, but I like, I like to see what's on Tubi and like Paramount Plus and Peacock and yeah. Like, where can you watch these movies for free if you if you possibly can? And um, just trying to find all the nooks and crannies of 
films directed by women floating around on the internet. I mean, it's great work. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's really, it's our pleasure to have you. So thank you for joining us. Mitchell, I have to say, obviously, thank you for, for you know, filling in for, for Dan Mecca. Happy um, to do it, Dan. I keep might, having kids. Yeah, you know what? I might not ask him back. I might not ask him back. Um, it's, I'm, I'm coming on for episode 100. Yeah, you know, it, it makes sense. You know, you, and you made it. You and Dan, and 102. You and, and Dan yeah. made it to to 100. Get, let's get a new guy. Yeah. Dan, Dan, technic, maybe technically the one who started it off originally. You know, but. It makes sense. Yeah, maybe we it's have, time maybe for new we blood. Have like a, you're like the uh, you're like the Justin Timberlake in our social network scenario right now. Of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, Mitchell, where can people find you, and what are you up to? Sure, you can find me on Twitter at it is Mitchell or on Letterboxd at uh, letterbox.com/slash/mitchell. I, as mentioned at the top, I'm the senior editor at Letterboxd, so. Follow um, Letterbox Journal, which is our like editorial uh, platform, which we've got a lot of cool stuff um, coming out on. As always, I write some of that stuff. You can also find my writing at places like the Film Stage, um, Pace Magazine, Playlists are kind of like the main ones that I go for. I did just drop a um, interview with Peter Strickland today on the Film Stage for Flux Gourmet, which I saw uh, was really cool. So yeah, yeah check us out. That's great. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. I also occasionally do stuff for the film stage. Um, if you're li- as this is recording, w- I will be dropping shortly a bonus episode I did for the film stage show where I interviewed the Drome team for Ambulance, um, Hell yeah. which is a fun little uh, interview and a movie I quite enjoy. Um also, what else? Let's see. Uh, well, just big housekeeping for the film stage. Obviously, this is our 99th episode. So as we've mentioned in recent episodes, we are going to be going on a hiatus for a bit as we prep for the big 100, which Dan will be returning for. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe not, though, if Mitchell, maybe if Mitchell has anything to say about it. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, we will be doing, uh, as we usually do every year, a series of audience choice polls. Uh, to to choose some of our next episodes. So we'll be posting those on the B-Side Twitter and the Film Stage Twitter. So keep uh, keep your eyes on those spaces for that as we keep moving forward. Um, but yeah, other than that, you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can shoot us an email at B-Side, B-S-I-D-E, at thefilmstage.com. And if you like what you've heard across these 99 episodes, or maybe only 98 of them or whatever, uh, please do rate, <laughs> review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. It helps us out a great deal. Uh, we, we've glad you followed us this far. If you do, and if you haven't, if this is your first episode, welcome to the club. We will not disappoint you. Um, and we appreciate having you on this journey that we've been on because, uh, you know, as you know, this is a podcast that celebrates the art of survival, the gift of laughter and the miracle of friendship. <laughs> there we go. Oh, no.